All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. in my office and I heard a rush. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? I'm in my prime. First you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me. Blow. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Alright, DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. Back with you, episode 102 of the Hordes of Chaos on the Metal Teva Radio Podcast. Neko, how are you? I'm good. It's very beautiful today. I feel like, you know, this is this is Maryland for you. So I got up, I get up early all the time because I'm either going to work or going to my mom's or, you know, and I don't like getting up early. So I set seven alarms just to make sure one of them will wake me up. And usually by like alarm number four or five, I'm good. But... It was raining. Yes, it, it snowed and iced a couple of days ago. It's all nasty. I've been wearing my like rubber boots, and then I take my mom to her doctor's appointment, and we leave, and it's 50 degrees. So it's and then now it's almost 60 degrees. It's insane. Like I want to go do something outside, but I I don't even know what we. You're like, hey, let's go wash the car, and I'm like, There's, that's really all there is to do. All I need is like over 50. No, I mean, but, like, to do anything, because, um, I don't, a lot of the restaurants and stuff, like, everything is kind of, like, at 50% capacity, and I don't even know if a lot of the outdoor dining options are even a thing right now, because, number one, because it's cold, but, like, with the COVID restrictions, some stuff is, is, like, way shut down, especially in Baltimore City, but, um, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, earlier today when got my tire, new tires put on my car. How are they? Good. You feel, they feel, they ride nice. The, yeah. It's the same. Well, ra- it's the same thing you said when you got your new ones in your car. Like immediately, I felt when I accelerated, it was catching grip. Mm-hmm. What? What? Really? So I didn't know my tires weren't like bad. Just like my old tires weren't really that bad, but I I think what was happening was where we live. It's like terrible roads, streets. Terrible streets. And he like what? Three or four times in the last couple of months, you've had nails in your tires, screws. Yeah, just constant, like, leaking. I mean, I've had them plugged, I've had them filled. Uh, and, and, you know, the tires would stay filled for a while, but then again, I'd have that fucking light come on. I'm like, what the fuck? 
So finally, I'm just like, you know, let me just buy some new tires. I've had it for a couple years and uh, got some new tires on. doesn't mean I can't still go and get another fucking nail in it, but at least starting from scratch. Wait until you drive uh, in the rain again. See, for me, I really noticed the, what, that my, my old tires were not terrible, but... Again, the same thing. I work down by the port, so I'm always hitting potholes, blowing a tire out, getting a nail. Yeah, you gotta avoid the potholes. And it's impossible. There's like a giant one right in front of the the entrance to my uh, to my building. And what was really crazy is I have a weird sized tire, so he would just be like, anything that is in this size, I don't care what brand it is. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. getting sick and tired of buying the. Cause the, I, the issue with all that was. You know, yeah, you can get used tires that are the same size and no problem, but... You just put anything on there. Different treads, uh, and it wears funny on a truck, or any car, actually. So, that was the only downfall, but, you know, at the time, that's the car we had. But it was like, I felt like in my car, because my car is 11 years old, so we've gone through some tires on that thing, but... I feel like we were just replacing tires, and we were going like, well, oh, okay. Was, that was basically what I was doing. I was driving, in the short time that I worked for that particular job, I was driving, I drove like 15,000 miles. Your dad was like, holy shit. I'm like, well, that's the thing, because, I mean, I was driving as far as Harrisburg, PA, for deliveries in my own car. That's That was the drawback with the job, is that they didn't have company vans, so it was all up to people driving their own vehicles. When I got my new car, I'm like, I can't just be doing this. Like, even when they were like, when I said that your car was down, they were all like, well, can't you just use your own? I think I used it like once or twice for that. But I was like, nah, dude, I just, that's, this car is not meant for that. <laughs> my car is the blue bomber. That is the big joke. I don't know how many times I've been hit in that car. I don't know. I mean, it just keeps going. It, I thought it was it's down. never going to quit. I, I thought it was down for it's the... like Miss Kitty. She's going to live forever. <laughs> I remember recently uh, when my mom was in the hospital still, I'm driving home and I'm at a, a turn and it stalls out. And I'm like, oh my God, mother, I'm, that's it. Need a new car. I'm He's he's like, just get a new fucking car. Oh, what the fuck? And... Well, that's only because, you know, again, it's not your fault or anybody's fault. I thought we'd already gotten a tune-up on that, but we hadn't, and that fixed the issue. I did the same thing with mine. It's weird because yours did that, and then, like, a week later, mine started doing that. It started having the stutter problem. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? So when I took it in, like, I asked them, I said, uh, have I ever had a tune-up on this thing? They're like, no. I said, let's do, do that. It. Do it. It's well, not cheap, but do it. Mine, and the funny thing is, in the manual... My tune-ups are every like sixty to eighty thousand miles. <laughs> we had gone like a hundred, and, and we've something. gone a hundred and forty thousand, and never had one once. His though are every twenty thousand miles, and I don't know if it's because we have he has one of those uh, turbo engines, and it might be because of that because it like sucks in more air. Right. And my car is like a real like low-level engine. So anyway, I got back from doing that and. I've been kind of bragging a little bit because I've been doing a little... Neko and I become kind of like, me more than her, big fans of YouTube personalities. So oh, yeah, they're fun. The fat samurai guy who does all the movies, we talk about a little bit here and there. But lately, the last couple of weeks, I've been watching a guy named uh, Joshua Gray. Uh, he's kind of... he's. I, I watch some of his other YouTubes. He, he used to like uh, host, like... Not really host, but be like a commentator for like gaming conventions and stuff for people competing like like a um like 
for oh what is it called there's like one that's a real big one that everybody yeah yeah, yeah. but okay. he was do- he was commentating a couple of years ago for something like that but anyway that's great he uh he gets online like five four five days a week during the week and he records himself playing Mortal Kombat and a couple other games. Is so, that the guy you were watching the other day? He's funny. Oh, yeah, he's great. Um, so today, though, he, his, I got in a little bit later, but because uh, he, he's over in uh, Washington, I think, or, or somewhere over there on the West Coast. So today he was doing a charity for, um, what was he called it? Uh, Beyond Talks and Family to save their home, so he wanted to get 50 likes on his YouTube videos. He doesn't he doesn't get like a massive amount of likes during the week. I mean he's he's growing his little thing there, but for him today by like the very last battle he had, he plays for about four hours every morning, and his last battle he managed to get to 50 likes. Now when I joined in, he was at about 22 likes. So when we got to like 35, I'm like you know what. I'm going to go share this on Facebook and Twitter and the Broncos forums to see if I can get people to come give some likes. And that certainly helped out a lot. We ended up cruising up to 54 likes by the Yay. end of it. So he got to his goal. Um, he's a really cool guy. He, you know, he knows me pretty well now because I think there's only a few of us that go into chat right now. But uh, obviously my Twitter handler, or not my Twitter handler, but my uh, YouTube handle is DogSoldier70. So... Obviously, Samurai Guy and Josh know me by that name. So, we're following each other on Twitter, me and Mr. Gray. Uh, he's a really cool guy. Uh, just like I have you said, to get better on Twitter and Instagram. I'm, like, you know, the worst. <laughs> and YouTube, I just use it to, like, watch old music videos. I'm I'm, I'm the worst. Anyway, is uh, if you're curious and you just like to watch, because he's playing a tournament right now. He's actually in a Mortal Kombat Ooh, player versus player tournament. Right now. Uh, he's under at Mr. Joshua Gray. Um, and then basically his, his bio is a performer plus producer, Mortal Kombat fan, rep for actors group. Uh, he did go tell me he went to do an audition for a commercial the other day. He said that went well, but he hasn't heard back yet. So he... um. Is it? You said it was a voiceover audition, or was it I, I, like a commercial? It was a commercial. Okay. I just don't know if it was like a voiceover or not. But because he has a pretty cool voice, and then he's really he's very animated, like while oh, yeah, he's playing. He, yeah, <laughs> he gets. The other day he was like really like today was a good day. He was winning a lot of battles, and uh, and his cat is pretty. Selena, yeah, talk about that. Uh, his YouTube um, channel is. His username there is eight, the number eight clutch. So is it? Yeah. Because he has his thing right here. It says youtube.com forward slash Mr. Joshua Gray. Let me see if I'm at the right spot. It may take you to the same spot. I don't know. Uh, this might be a separate. Um, I don't know. It takes you to the Today, same the thing. Oh, well, yeah. There he the is. There he is. That's him. I'm Joshua Gray. Joining me is Brian Compton. We'll be your host. See, he's got a great voice. I hope he yeah. was doing a voiceover audition because he should totally get into doing. Um... Well, he probably does. I don't know anything beyond that. Like when I asked him, he was going to go do audition for a commercial. He couldn't tell me what it was, and you know that's probably. That happens. That happens to a lot of people when you like. Remember when? So you don't get competition. Well, not only that, but like they sometimes when you. Um, 
go and do jobs, they don't really give you the full details of what it is. Mm-hmm. They just say, here, read this. Or right. unless you're like fucking Tom Cruise and people just ask you to be in the movie. When you're, you you know, when you're going out there, they don't, they don't want to give you any kind of like information. They're just like, here, come, come read this or whatever. Like me, when I, I had to do those other jobs that were a little secret, 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 they didn't tell me where I was going or what I was... It's just like you get on and you do the job and you come home. So anyway, if you enjoy gaming at all, uh, he's a lot of fun. To, to, he does interact with the chat because he's got like all this shit going on. He's got multiple screens. He's got the back screen with the yeah, you can fires see going his, on. You can see and I... I I gotta get better. We gotta get better. I need to. I need to get more interactive, and maybe now that things are gonna be changing. Well, you still have something you gotta do with the liners that we gotta work on. But I had a, a great genius brain moment. Oh, tell me, <laughs> tell me, tell me, big brain. So you and I, we do. We're gonna have a couple of uh, movie reviews later in this episode, which we do anyway. We usually try to do more recent stuff because we're you know either their shows or because WandaVision's latest mm-hmm. episode they say there's a cameo at the end so we're going to be watching that later tonight mm-hmm. but, uh, but we, try, we tend to try to watch like newer movies and give our little input about because that's what, what's hip and what's going on we do do older stuff uh, such as um, a couple of the movies we're going to review today but I had an idea that you and I, because we have a nice little DVD collection. Yes, we do. And we are fine with it. I know some people are like, oh, I just ripped all my DVDs to a hard drive. But it got me thinking that, you know what, maybe we should alternate every other week where one of us chooses a film from our collection, sits down and watches and then reviews it on the next podcast. So I already have my first one in mind for us to review. All right, so... Doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be two per episode, so like this week coming up on the next one... I'll make the selection. And then the next one? It'll be yours. Uh, I think, should we... Because I have so many that I love that I just know I haven't watched in a while. And um, because... I mean, if you can find it on a streaming service and we don't have it, that's fine. But the whole idea was... Because uh, I, you know, I, I don't get to my DVDs. I love my DVDs. I just don't get to them a lot because sometimes either they're streaming already... Or we're just doing a bunch of other shit. So he does them for me, especially if, because my job. I travel so much, and he does exactly like what everybody's doing now. He rips all the DVDs so that I have them on a hard drive, and I have some entertainment for myself. You know, just to watch stuff in my room when I'm not on on shift or whatever. And I know that's what a lot of people are doing because I was um, a friend of mine actually. On Facebook, she's like, oh, there's a Sex in the City marathon on. I'm making Cosmos. And I'm like, if you ever want to watch them, I have all of the episodes with the bonus features. All, you know, and she's like, oh, I used to have them too, but we got rid of all of our DVDs. I'm like, why do people get rid of all of their DVDs? Yeah, some of them I understood, like, just, like, even with my CDs, like, it just got to a point that there were so many that... You just weren't enjoying. Well, I just, yeah, like, I bought them at the time because, one, it was sort of before I got into uh, the internet portion of everything and before I started really getting into vinyl cassette again. So a lot of stuff I buy now I try to find on either vinyl or cassette because it's more retro, nostalgic purposes. uh, And we have that really sweet retro setup 
in the living room when we bought that. It's it's like a wood grain stereo with a turntable and a cassette player, and it's super sweet. But um, yeah, so a lot of the CDs I still had, like it's it you know at first I'm like one just like anybody else. I'm like, oh god, I want all these CDs. I want to have the biggest collection ever. But then I got to think about it. I was like, man, really, how my, how often do I even listen to half of those, over half of those? So I probably sold about, I don't know what, five, that, five to 800 CDs. You used easily. to have another one, remember? Mm, yeah. So I'm, I'm over this. I know you can't see this because we're talking, but on the far wall of his um, little Anubis layer, he had a full wall of bookshelves filled with CDs. And now he only has one, and it's only about three quarters of the way filled, where he had both of them loaded and loaded to the gills, as they say. I'm even thinking, like, there would be a cool way to do some, like, built-in shelves over there to, like, get more. But anyway, oh, what else I was, I was thinking, too, um, back to your CDs, you started... Going through your CDs and your tapes, because you have that box of tapes over there, too, that you are for, like, trading. That's what you started doing. You started trading with people or going to the trading sites. Or you would take them into um, Soundgarden and get get uh, store credit so that you could buy new things that you wanted. Right. So, I mean, somebody else is going to love, going to give you a well-loved... I hate having things that I know, yeah, maybe I like it, but it's not getting any use, you know? That's kind of how I feel. If it's just sitting there and you're never opening it and never using it, never watching it, never listening to it, never whatever. So, but I'm happy. I'm happy to do that little DVD game with you. What, uh, what would you like to see first? Uh, actually, I think the first one we'll do next week, um, we'll watch it between now and then, is The Replacement Killers. Uh, Chow Young-Fat and Mira Savino. It's a great action flick. Um, I was watching Samurai Guy, uh, and, uh, AME, Erica, the Asian, uh, movie enthusiast, mm -hmm. and then Rob from ETN. They did a review of, like, three similar, like, uh, Family Fatale movies, like Everly... Anna and uh, Proud Mary. Um, they weren't quite that impressed with all those, but then it got me thinking, well, what are the kind? Because they did bring up Chow Young Fat at one point. So I was like, well, you know what? I haven't watched that movie in a while, and I really love it. It has a lot of good actors in it. and uh, I don't even know if I've ever seen it. Well, that'd be cool if you haven't, because it's really fucking Because if, if I, I, it's something that, like... But I figure, because you and I, we have this habit sometimes, even with these two movies that we review today uh we'll get into we'll watch a movie because the whole point is like okay we, we learn from other somebody's youtube personalities and rather be like yeah yeah i need to check this out okay we're gonna do that but we have a bad habit that like if we start losing interest or start playing with our phones uh -huh. this time i want to make sure we're just concentrating on the movie making our notes or whatever and this way we come in with like fresh minds and say oh man i missed that part well, uh, you know, when we were, every time we watch a documentary, I, I usually take notes. No, no, no. I'm not saying we do it for every single thing, but, you know, obviously, just it depends on the film or, you know, sometimes, like, some docs, I started watching some, I was like, eh, it's not doing anything. So I, <laughs> I was ready to back out of it, and Nick was like, well, no, no, I want to watch the rest. It was only, like, an hour, but it was about the Natasha, whatever her name was, and uh, 
who got kidnapped, and I was like, okay, well, she lived there for a long time, kidnapped with this guy raping it. Mm, terrible. Anywho, anyhow, uh, we are like so all over the place today. Yeah, well, we had a lot of groundwork to cover here, so. Uh, some new stuff to get to. Uh, obviously, Nico's pick of the week in the rock block there. <laughs> Kick it off, though, with an album that obviously made my best of so far this year. I have Uh-oh. three. Uh, really, no surprise for anyone who knows uh, this band because I'm a big fan of them. The Ruins of Beverass with their new uh, album that came out. This is called Polar Hiss Hysteria. You Kick love it Ruins all of Everest. Yes, I do.
this is Jessica from Factory of Dreams. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Closing out that block, Coltica, a fixed reality for Prometheus identity, and before that, new Stargazer, Star Vassal. I like that a lot. Good stuff there. Uh, I did forget to get to a quick thing. Uh, at 91, Christopher Plummer has passed away. <gasps> so, sad news there with that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I uh, started in Sound of Music, also uh, recently, Knives Out. Um, just also was in uh, Star Trek: The Und- Undiscovered Country is one of the Klingons. So uh, yeah, he'll be sadly missed. A great actor, been around for a while. I uh, just wanted to get to that and say uh, very sorry to hear about that. Hope uh, the family, everybody, uh, is okay. Wish with- them peace at this time. Right. God, that sucks. Yeah, it's just like, it just keeps coming. <laughs> now, have you ever seen The Sound of Music, number one? No, I know about it, I know what it is, but no. Do you know what it's about? No. So it takes place during World War II. Uh-huh. So they're, it's a family trying to get away from the Nazis, so they're going up into the mountains. So it's, it's, it's actually kind of interesting. Just thought I'd throw yeah. that tidbit out there yeah. for people who don't know much about the you uh, saw my little rant i did on greece on your facebook page so well, let's get to some real uh movie uh entertainment oh, real movies sound of music is not a real movie uh uh-huh. father's day 2011 a trauma video yes um we uh yeah just you know look Whenever you get into Lloyd Coffin flicks, you know what you're in store for because it's just going to be fucking off the wall. Spoiler alert, I didn't know what I was in store for and I hated it. (laughs) I wasn't even interested and it was just gross. Uh, But that's, again, Lloyd Coffin. But if you've ever seen. I enjoy gross and over the top violence and gore. This was when it much. makes sense. Like, none of it was making sense. And I said something to you. It wasn't to you. meant to. I was, I, what did I say to you? I was now, like, granted, I'm not saying this is a great movie, but, like, I just knew going in what I was in store for because, yeah, look, uh, Toxic Avenger, Tromeo and Juliet, I mean, these are all films that, over the course of the years, uh, are stuff that uh, Tromeo has put out. And, you know, it's just, you know, kind of know what you're going in for when you get in there. Story basically is about a man named Ahab uh, who's trying to exact revenge on Chris Fookman, the Father's Day killer, a rapist and serial killer who murdered his father years ago. So he's going around with a shotgun trying to track this dude down and kill him. The the guy who plays Chris Fookman is this overweight, huge dude who's really nuts and he chops you know fathers up and eats them and all this other shit, but he. It's a, it's a shit show in that way, and then but the, it gets even worse. Is he eventually comes across his estranged uh, sister Chelsea, who's played by Amy Groner, who's very lovely, by the way. Um, and she, she works at a strip club called Low Life, so that that's already like he's already like 
you know, his his one night stand um, chick who he had messed with. Christopher Plummer. Is that yes? Yes. Yeah, she's not even on the same topic I am. That's how much she hated this movie. She doesn't even want to talk about it. <laughs> so it wasn't even a little bit good. So anyway, <laughs> he, he talks to his uh, sleazy Mary, who's his old flame, and. She actually is the owner of this strip club, so there's a point where he's like telling her, I don't want my sister working in a place like this, and next thing you know, his sister comes out on the catwalk and on the pole dance and starts stripping and doing everything else. But that's not even the worst of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get, basically, eventually you learn that this Fuchman character is being possessed and that uh, it's protected by a cult of Satanists, one of whom I think is like a reverend or so. I can't remember. No, the reverend helps him, but uh, at some point, his sister becomes possessed after they've actually killed Fugman, but his like possession or whatever moved from that to his sister, who <laughs> ends up showing up to Ahab's door and uh, seduces him, and they end up banging sister and brother love. Because uh, apparently doing that means that they can reincarnate this uh, Fukman character, or the devil, the demon, whatever is inside them. See, that was the best part about this whole movie was the end. Is this the same movie I'm thinking about, or no? Whether um, they actually went well when they went to hell because they killed themselves. Yeah, but I, th- I often I'm thinking about that, and I'm like, because the very end shows them all at the same dinner table dead. Uh, one of the guys is named Twink. That was fucking hilarious. But uh, you know what a Twink is, right? See, and Stalfers, Chris, he told me that I need to check out Gay Yeti from Trauma because he says that looks really funny. <laughs> he says really good. Oh my god! But anyway, uh, I, my my theory on that ending is that maybe they really were in hell, but like they weren't really saving anything. Like I think they were dead, dead. Like they just killed themselves for stupid reasons. Uh, but it was really kind of funny because between the three of them, the Reverend, Twink, and Ahab, uh, they were all trying to figure out who's going to kill themselves first. And then, like, if someone didn't do it, they would do it or something like that. I don't know. But I think Ahab was tired of, like, Twink and the Reverend bitching about who's going to go first. <laughs> Ahab's like, pow! Done. So then it was up to Twink and Ahab. And, of course, I think the Reverend did it next and then Twink did it last. But, uh... Eventually, they got into hell, and he found his sister again, who was imprisoned by this big ass demon. <clears throat> and then, like, of course, the sister and Ahab start kissing in the afterlife. And of course, Sleazy Mary's already there because she was killed early in the film, and she basically is like, "Wait, you're not supposed to be doing that." <laughs> so, well, this is hell, so right. So it, it's just really a crazy movie. But, again, I went into it knowing that this is kind of where we're going to go with this. I just knew it was going to be crazy anyway. Um, <clears throat> I will say this, that initially, when you watch the opening credits, and this is the only reason why I had uh, NECA watch this, because the opening credits has, like, this very grindhouse vibe about it. Unfortunately, the movie itself never really fits that bill. They try hard at doing it, but they can't replicate it. And... Uh, Despite all the other shit that goes on that you kind of expect from a trauma film, uh, it's pretty forgettable in the end. Like, I, I wouldn't really go revisit it unless I want to watch Amy Groening again because she's just hot. The the yeah. end, though, was actually really funny. Yeah, like, well, it has funny moments. I mean, that's sort of the point. But I was but... really, lo- like, I was losing interest. Like, I'm like, what happened to so-and-so? And you're like, oh, yeah, she's dead already. I'm like, 
Oh, well. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so, you know, just, that's it for that, really. Just, you know, if you like trauma films, check it out. Uh, you might dig it. A lot of people were crowing about it. I think that's one reason why uh, I chose to check it out. Um, it's just because other people were saying, hey, this is pretty decent. Uh, but, of course, when everybody's subjective, what, what decent is. And, like, I like my share of bad movies, but this one wouldn't be one that I'd rush out and buy. In fact, what was the one I really liked uh, a few months ago that I bought on DVD was the... Um, was it Ghost Chases versus Bloody Mary? Like, I don't think she's even really seen it, sat and watched it, but that movie is fucking funny. Uh, it's a it's a foreign film, uh, but it's great. It's so much better than this. <laughs> but it has similar gore themes, but uh, just it's really, really but good. But that's what I'm saying about you have to use the gore well. Like, right, right. It, it just felt like they were just... Like, when they were making the dude eat the people, it was just, like, really, really gross and over the top, but then... It didn't even feel like it made the story better, if you know what I mean. Like, it, I think the problem with trauma, really, in general, just, you know, it's not really a problem because, like I said, they've been doing it for years. But me watching a Toxic Avenger back in the late 80s, early 90s, whenever that got released, and seeing those scenes was like, wow, I've never seen anything quite this explicit. This is, this is amazing. Uh, outside of, like, you know, some horror films from earlier than that, but... The things that Toxic Avenger did, I'm just like... And then I started watching the movie and watching some of the funnier parts of it. I'm like, well, this is actually pretty clever. I just... I never thought that that would actually take off the way it did. And I'm not sure Trauma did either, but eventually Trauma became this big thing. And one thing I appreciate about Lloyd Coffin is he doesn't really have a stick up his butt when it comes to, like, streaming movies and all this other stuff. Like, he's fine with the way everything is. He's like, look, I just do it, make films for fun... You can either stream it for free or buy it or whatever, but I just I do it because of the love of it. I, I respect that. that. Yeah. And I also think sometimes um, I like a story. You know, I, I want something. I would rather it be maybe not visually awesome, but like a really good story. I mean, that's kind of how I felt with... Um, the alienist that we've been mm -hmm. watching which we have to get back to it's very dull and dingy and that's because they're describing grungy new york at the turn of the century you know turn of the 1900 century and it's not like this wonderful vis visual masterpiece or whatever but the story is awesome i know other people are the opposite where they want to see like Stuff like the Avengers and even like, <clears throat> excuse me, like Titanic or Avatar. I'm trying to think of these big, big movies. Uh, Independence Day, stuff like that, or Godzilla. The big, big pictures and the big effects. Sometimes there are people who the the story doesn't really matter. They just want to see like how cool something looks on on the screen. And I think with Tromo, his thing may not be like, oh, this looks so cool. It's yeah, more he's, like... he's not aiming for Oscars. He's, he's really, like... He's it, playing he's, up to his fan base. He's really into his... And he uses real effects. Mm -hmm. So he's into the makeup, the grossness, and he's like, how can I just fit this? And I, he wants to get the right shot. And I think, yeah, I think he very, 
very rarely uses CGI. Like, everything is, like, real special mm -hmm. effects, which, you know, if you're an old-school lover of special effects, it's right up to it. Because, like Neko said, it's, the scenes... I mean, the first scene you see is uh, this dude chopping up a body and eating parts of him, even taking his headless... his head, which has been detached, and basically uh, giving himself head with it. <laughs> head, oh, God, that's right! Yeah. So, uh... Yeah, but again, back to what Samurai and them were discussing last night about the trilogy of movies they were watching with the Femme Fatales. You know, Everly is the biggest star in it is uh, Salma Hayek. And they said, now all, all of them agreed that she was great, but the movie was kind of bad. But then the movie Anna, the main actress, is not, not a well known one, and they all agreed that she was kind of bland. But then you have Luke Evans, who, of course, is an alienist. As well as, uh, I can't remember his first name, it's Murphy, he played uh, Scarecrow in the first Batman movie. He's a good actor. Uh, he was in it as well. They said, that cast, he said, if you put Hayek out of the other film into the Anna film, it would have been like a perfect film, but, you know. I really, f in, in the um, Dark Knight series, I really wish they would have, I mean, I know that Scarecrow got like a, a little bit of run, but I love... Well, you had pits and pieces throughout the trilogy and even the end like the third one he was like playing the judge for uh -huh. a while. it's like ah uh, what was it execution or exilement or yeah it's like exile or death by exile because <laughs> the one it was it was uh commissioner gordon he was like well i just death and they're like all right death by exile because <laughs> he wasn't even gonna kill him he just like just kicked him out throw him out on the ice yeah i i do i love the scarecrow crow character like I yeah, I don't know a lot about. The only thing I really remember at one point was Howard Stern saying he wanted to play the character. Uh, I'm glad they didn't go that route. Cause, I am too, because Howard is very full of himself and he's not that great of an actor. Because the only thing he's acted in is his own bi biography. So right, and it was fine. Um, but yeah, I think unless you're going for that whole like um, Batman and Robin vibe, which was very comic. Mm -hmm. um, no, because this Scarecrow, you remember. No, I'm just saying that. It, Howard playing that character would, be, would fit that film. It, it would be more of a caricature. Of, right, like, right. The whole dark. I'm not. I'm not going to get too comic book nerdy, but I used to love the whole Dark Knight series when I was a kid. Um, you know, in the Dark Knight comic books and stuff. And Scarecrow is like super interesting because like he's he's his, he's like the product of his own insanity if you think about it like he was a doctor <laughs> at arkham yeah and it was i love i just really wish they utilized him more bane you know we love bane <laughs> yeah well that's a great point because bane and batman robin was a character he was he looked like a fucking uh retard no, I was going to say machine, but you see how different Bane was. Tom Hardy mm -hmm. played a much better, much smarter version of that character. Because Bane is much different in like that comic book. You know, it's it is a different. I understand it's a different take on um, Batman, but you know, I I love pretty much all the takes on back Batman. That's always been like a really big like. Just characters and stuff. Like, even I'm talking like Adam West time. Like, I loved all of that. Yeah, I mean, 
I remember some of the Adam West era, and like you know, I appreciated it then as a kid because it fit the mold. And then of course Tim Burton did his versions, which I liked a lot, especially with Nicholson. I mean, prior to Heath Ledger, Nicholson was the epitome of what Joker was. But see, the Heath Ledger Joker is a different Joker than the... right, and that's why I can I separate. I mean, that's that. what I They're mean. They're both very good. I prefer Ledger, but then again, I prefer that trilogy over anything else. It's not that I hate Burton's versions. Because uh, both the one and two are very good. I, I I didn't. The only thing I didn't like about Burton in the second one is Devito's portrayal of Penguin. I thought it was a little bit too literal. Um, yeah, I I thought that because the Penguin in the Penguin is is still a distinguished man, mm-hmm. even though he's the Penguin. But right. the, they made him kind of like down in the grossness, like. Yeah, it's like they literally tried to make me into a penguin. I'm like, okay, I, I like see Chester. where you're going with it, but it's it does, it's just too literal. Uh, Catwoman didn't have fur. She Michelle Pfeiffer portrayed it excellently. You uh, I have you have no idea how obsessed I was with that movie. Well, Sean and- Young was pretty obsessed with it. Who? <laughs> Sean Young from Ace Ventura, Einhorn. She was so you never heard that story? No, dude. She was like. So obsessed with playing Catwoman for that movie, she went on. I can't remember what talk show it was, but she dressed as the old Catwoman from the Western. Julie Newmar? Yeah. And she just, she was angry that she didn't get the part. And she, like, apparently she was so pushy with Burton that she wanted it. Burton's like, no, you know, you're not what I envisioned the character to be, whether it's acting or whether. And it's not that Shawn a bad actress, but look. Michelle Pfeiffer just knocked it out of the park. Let's be fair; uh, that's what he was going with. But yeah, it was a really, it was a really big story. Uh, I didn't that. know that, and you know, maybe that's why she had so much angst in her role <laughs> as I <laughs> She used it. She channeled. <laughs> right. She came they're so like, bitchy. They're like, okay, so <laughs> you didn't get Batman. But we got this other movie. We about, got this other flick that about, you might read down with. <laughs> about this this guy who uh, is a pet detective, and you're a transsexual, <laughs> yeah. and you stole the Miami Dolphin Dolphin mascot. <laughs> She's you, like, that's great. Can you believe trying to pitch that fucking movie? Like, holy shit. Yeah, that's that's it's craziness. That's gonna be on our list to revisit. On, oh uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. That and Wayne's World. I mean, it doesn't have to. be... Oh, which reminds <clears throat> me, you did you see the new Super Bowl ad with Wayne's World? Oh. They have a couple out there. It's for uh, Uber Eats, and one of them has Cardi B there with them. But the other one, uh, I can't remember. I just saw, it, but it's it's Myers and Carvey doing their roles on Wayne World set. For the commercial, it's it's you have to look I it up later. Um, they look a little older, obviously, but they still play the parts very well. You'd like, be like, "Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right on, Garth." Yeah, uh, they even have a moment where like both of them are like, "Yeah, we won't sell out or anything." Want they both pick up like babies that look like them, <laughs> dress dress like them. You know what I mean? But oh, uh, shit. it's uh, it's really really good. Um, but yeah, that's that. That's the whole point. Like, it, we don't have any set time period for movies. Like, usually we'll say let's go to like a seventies horror movie and do it. But 
in this case, it doesn't matter the genre. I mean, I'm, I'm not really going to go into musicals because that's just not my thing. Unless it's like, I would do Rocky Horror. That'd be fun. Or, or Moulin Rouge. But, I mean, it's up to you what you want to do, but that's not where the direction I'm going. But it's either like action. I thought or, we were watching it together. We are, we are. But it's action, uh, comedies, whatever. Like, we're just going to revisit some things and have some fun with that. Yeah, but you like all that jazz. Roy Scheider do I, I look. I can appreciate it. I, I won't say I like it because I don't. It's not something I'm going to watch a lot. It's you know I watch it with you. I can appreciate it. Fosse is a genius. I especially love. Um, who's my actor now that did it at the show? Um, fuck. You love this guy too, Sam um, Rockwell. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. And and Michelle Williams. Yep. But that was a great show. I loved it. I thought both of them did very well in it. And that, and that, and that's, those are the kind of things that gives me a really big appreciation for portraying something that you love. So, I th- was it you to discover that, or was it? Yeah, me? but when I saw that, and I'm like, you have to record, record them. I was out on a ship, and I we, I got to see like three of them. And I was like, you have to record them, and don't delete them, and don't watch them. And I'm like, Ugh. like it was it was insane. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have been as interested in it if it had not been for Rockwell, but I really become a big fan of his. Uh, really, since I kind of went back, like some things I didn't even know he was in it because I wasn't paying attention. Galaxy Quest, he's the security <gasps> guy in that. Just random ass fucking things. But then the movie that most comic book fans hate in the Iron Man world is Iron Man 2. I love that one more than 3. And I love to because Rockwell is a fucking big ass asshole, but he's funny as hell in it. So that's the greatest thing about it. He plays that part, uh, Hammer, so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a really great actor. He really is. I've seen some other things that are, uh, you know, things that people wouldn't notice. And you know, Fosse and Verdi. I was like, this is great. He's really good. He played that role, and he knows how to dance. He does. He actually knows that. Uh, that's he actually something you can do. All of the mannerisms of Bob down. They started like because Bob was notoriously like losing his hair, and they started off with hair, and then like <laughs> they got the comb over going on him, and he was so good. They were both so amazing, and oh, if you if you are into Bob Fosse or dance in general, check it out. That check it out. That like went. On a complete yeah, we we do that. We started with like talking That's about okay. the disgusting movie, and then <laughs> we ended on talking about two amazing actors. See, that's what I'm saying about like I like a story and a portrayal. Well, that's because you brought up Ace Ventura and oh, fucking Ace Ventura. Sean Young. So that's that's the thing. Like we will go back and visit some of these movies, uh, which will be fun because, like I said, we've got a, a shit ton of DVDs that I've collected over the years and we have a lot of movies that we like but a lot of times now they are streaming already mm. plus we're always we're always looking for a new shit like I, like I was tempted because HBO Max is showing the little things right now with Denzel Washington and Jared Leto oh, I heard it was terrible that's the thing I was hearing today they say it's really bad so I'm like now I'm like eh, I'll just I don't want to be disappointed by it yeah it's, it's not that we couldn't go into it and enjoy because it, it is all subjective but I do trust some of the people that I hear from uh, so, yeah, so we'll probably avoid that, but we have DVDs that we bought that we know we love. Uh, so we will probably go back to that. And that's what you do. You're like, okay, I like this, I'm buying the DVD. I saw you bought Ready Player One. Yeah. 
Because while we're contemplate or it's not really a contemplation where we're getting rid of Verizon uh, cable. As soon as I catch which up. means we have to get rid of the DVR, which we'll end up buying one. But I have stuff on it that I like that I've recorded. I didn't buy the DVDs because it was right there. Uh, now that we're getting rid of them, I'm like, yep, oh, might as well just go buy them. Found them for pretty good prices, Blu-ray. So I was like, okay, that sounds good. That's what you do then, because even like with the um... yeah, I try to st just like albums right now. I stick with things that I know are really good that I know I'm gonna watch a lot. Uh, I think even since you've been back, I've watched Ready Player One like two or three times. And I watched it with you. Right. Because it was on... You. It's really a fun movie. Like, I didn't go... I knew that I'd probably like it because there's a lot of nostalgia in it. But when I finally watched it, I'm like, this is so fucking good. It's a lot of fun. And that's one of those ones where it does both. It's got the visual and the story. And I didn't, and same thing with Alita. That's the other one I bought. Like, I just... I didn't know if I was going to like it because I'd heard... This is the Captain Marvel shit. I heard that uh, a little bit too much feminism. And, like, I don't really see it. Obviously, you have a powerful female in it, but that's the main character. So, but there wasn't, like, any references to, like, oh, men can't do this. There was, it was just a fucking great movie. See, I, ne I never had any uh, interest in watching Alita. Oh, I think you would like it, though. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's it was much different than I expected. Um I think that you actually would like it, so maybe we'll that maybe that movie we'll revisit. Uh just because you haven't seen it, but you haven't seen Replacement Killers, I don't think. So we'll we well, might recognize it, but that'll probably be the first one we do next week and then of course you'll make your pick the following podcast and so on. So Oh, I think it might be Ace Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't hurt my feelings. That's the fun thing about this. We don't have to worry about going into saying well, let's just pick a movie we haven't seen and do it because, like, there's no point in that. Because, I mean, yeah, we'll do that along the way because we do that every week anyway. But uh, it'll be a lot more fun to find a movie that we both know that we'd like. Just wait till they get to Step Brothers or Grandma's oh Boy. Step Brothers. Yeah, it's, it's going to be ridiculous. All right, well, in this next uh, block of music, we do have one new track from Manifesting Obscenity, but... Uh, Classic in Flames, and then last week I played that new Therion track. I was going to say some more Therion. This is older Therion. Now, I only did this because there was a certain point when I got into Therion, was like probably mid-90s, and they'd already started doing their symphonic metal at that point. Uh, this stuff that I heard from their very first record is like basically like, it's still a little bit symphonic in there, but it's like almost straight death metal. It's really good. Uh, it kind of excited me, and I'm like, wow, oh, this is really damn good. Um, obviously, I said last week I'm not really into, like, the last two or three records from them because it's just gone a little bit kind of off the beaten path. But, uh, here we go with A Suburb to Hell, and we'll be back right after this.
This is Sky Nielsen Promotions. I offer the most affordable, effective, independent metal promotions one can find. If you've got a metal band, project, or art that you want promoted, simply search for Sky Nielsen Promotions. And you're listening to Hordes of Chaos on Metal Tavern Radio. She's in love with herself. Alright, we are back. The never-ending saga of Marilyn Manson and his supposed abuse of women. It's kind of interesting because of who he is. So, he's a weirdo. He's the one that, when the trench coat mafia went into Columbine and killed all the people... He, you know, oh, he, they're Marilyn Manson fan. Right. Marilyn Manson was so mainstream that anything bad that happened, this is, they just blame it on him. Now, here's the thing. When, the, when I'm reading reactions to this, so Evan Rachel Wood was married to Manson for how many years? At least two, I think. But she was very young when she... About 18 when he she He was 36 him. and she was 18. And yeah. he was... he he. She never spoke publicly about it. She just um, mentioned that she was in a really bad, abusive relationship, but never named names. And keep in mind, um, real quickly, she also <laughs> has mentioned that the, some of the abuse that she took, like as far as rape, actually happened before. Before that, like she she had never alleged, at least that initially, that Manson had actually done anything like that. Although her recent uh, her recent um, tweet or whatever it was, she seemed to kind of imply that he had. But before that, she had implied that Manson had mentally abused her. But some of the rape and the sexual abuse that she had undergone had actually happened in relationships before him. So that's just something to keep in mind there with that. So they were never actually married. Um, they were just together. Yeah. And then they called off their wedding. And um, so uh, all of Manson's ex, though, seemed to be standing by evan rachel wood because apparently they i mean nobody's actually come out really and said anything but they're all <clears throat> oh my goodness i'm so sorry let me get a sip they're all standing by her because maybe it's a little bit of solidarity like yeah i was dealing with the same thing so not only is evan rachel wood coming out saying this, but other people who are way lower on the radar just random people that they're claiming that he used his fame to lure them and then abuse them. One lady was a very young model. Um, she didn't even live in the U.S. and he got her over here and he would, you know, shame her, not let her eat, just random things. The one thing that is really just troubling, besides these horrible allegations, like, this is a terrible, terrible thing. It's horrible to even think that somebody would, like, be treated like a slave and groomed and, like, just 
gaslighted so much to be abused, and, and that's what these women are, are saying, that it started off as, like, little things, and then it turned into, like, a huge deal. Like, the one woman, she, um, I believe she's from Thailand, and Manson requested lots of World War II memorabilia. Oh, yeah, Nazi stuff, All the yeah. Nazi stuff, because it's very hard to find it, but for some reason in Thailand, there's a ton of it. I don't know. Yeah, keep in mind that, I, like, if if Manson wanted stuff like that, I don't really see him as a racist, and I only say that because uh, one of the biggest metal guys in the world, Lemmy, uh, actually collected stuff like that. Uh, and he was far from a racist, so... People who collect items like that do it mainly for historical purposes. You well, may not I, like it, but... To the, to, I, I, that was kind of a form of abuse to this girl because she was Jewish. Right, okay. So, so he's she at, just saw it. Yeah. So he was asking her to bring Nazi memorabilia to him. And she's like, I did it, but it was like really upsetting because I'm right. Jewish. And... I think he was doing that to her. Like, you've never heard of him being a World War II collector. Like, Lemmy is notorious. Remember all those knives that he collected from, like... Right. So, but... Anyway. There are two really bad sides to this. Number one. There's been a lot of victim shaming for, on these women. Like, what would you think would happen to you if you dated a person like that? Yeah, a lot of them say, well, look who you were dating. Yeah, like, like that's really not fair. It, well, it's not fair for a number of reasons. One is, you're prejudging someone. But two, if you've ever taken the time to watch any of Manson's, uh, Brian Warner, his real name, if you ever watch his interviews, he's actually a very smart guy. Um, he's very uh, well-spoken, uh, intelligent, and everything else. That doesn't mean he can't be a shithead, but the point is, is that... You look at him, you're like, and this is like a, a stereotype that's been with metal and rock musicians forever. Is that, oh, they're just dumb rock dudes or whatever. It's not the case. You find, like, a lot of metal people, uh, musicians, artists, um, singers, whatever, they're actually quite smart. And, and slowly but surely, uh, the rest of the world is starting to realize that. We start seeing articles where, like... Yeah, metal's actually very intelligent music if you sit down and, and listen. And you, to you listen to it and listen to the time signature changes and stuff. Or some of the lyrics and whatnot. Not all of them are designed that way, obviously. Death metal, black metal, they're all different in their own way. But, yeah, you, you can find a lot of uh, very smart people within the metal community. But they're, they're kind of like backhanded shaming both, like, both his victims and himself. Like... <clears throat> people are like, oh, yeah, he definitely, just just because of him making crazy music, they're like, okay, yeah, he definitely is an abuser and, and this and that. And then the women are getting shamed because they're like, well, what do you expect? Listen to his music. He's the reason the trench coat mafia, you know, they... they he, he inspired them to to blow up or go shoot up Columbine, and you start hearing all of this stuff, and nobody is focusing on what really matters. Is that did this hard guy really commit like these horrible crimes and abuse to these women? It's like, well, it's your own fault if it did, and well, he's a weirdo, so he would do it. Well, I'm going to stop you there because you're at a point where I, I've 
wanted to get into something I was thinking about and reading. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the issue, like, for a few days after Evan Rachel Wood tweeted and put this stuff out there, she finally named Brian Warner as one of, <coughs> at least in terms of who she was talking about as her abuser. Um, recently, uh, Manson has actually come out and said that this is not the case. He says that he still stands by the idea that the women that he's been involved with uh, were all consensual and they all were into the things that he, whatever they were doing. Um, now, back to your point about former lovers and, and wives and stuff like that. Uh, both Rose McGowan and Dita Von Teese, is that her name? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, both have come out and said that during their times with Manson, they never faced any abuse. However, they both obviously support any woman who says that they were abused by Brian Warner. Um, and then more recently, uh, Sharon Osbourne, who has a long working relationship with Manson over the years, has said that she's been taking abuse on Twitter and everything because of her past relationship. Because she has pictures with Manson when they were working together, uh, Ozfest or whatever, and she had to come out on her View show and say, "Look, I don't know what goes on in his bedroom. I don't want to know uh, if it's true. Shame on him, but." If I'm, if I have pictures with them or I've had a long, twenty-five year working relationship with them, that does not make me uh, an accessible accessory to what's going on. So people need to like, it gets back to what you're saying. How people are kind of victim shaming, like in the case of Rachel Wood and everything else. Like they don't, they we none of us know the details of any of this. We can only guess and speculate. But when you're coming after someone who has a working relationship with a musician, uh, you're, you're assuming that she's known what's going on in these relationships. Now, not only that, but a lot of the earlier relationships were with, with women who say nothing ever happened. Or, so, or like Manson said, that they were consensual and doing kinky stuff. Now, here's the thing that I can say as a possibility with, with Rachel Wood and some of these other women is that, I don't know if you remember the story with Ron Jeremy, the porn star, getting arrested. He uh, he had assaulted, sexually assaulted a woman in a bar, basically trying to treat her like a porn star when she wasn't one. And it got me thinking that sometimes men, when they have a certain sexual appetite or behavior, can try to carry that on to other parts in their lives, other people they meet, uh, other women they engage. So part of me wonders that, well... If Rose and Dita, I don't, again, I don't know what their sexual things are they do in the bedroom, but if whatever they did together in the privacy of their bedroom is sort of that S&M or whatever the fuck they were doing, Manson may have thought that that would be okay in other relationships, and that's the problem if that's what the case is. Like, if Brian goes into these other relationships thinking, well, you know, these other girls like this stuff, you should be liking it too. That's a problem, and that's a problem on his end. I'm not saying that's what happened. Uh, again, I don't know. Nobody really does except for the people involved. Um, but they have to take it seriously because, you know, it, it, the one alarming thing for me is always, why is this guy at 36 dating an 18-year-old? She's well, cute. I get it. She likes you. A lot of people you. said the same thing about you when you were 32 dating a 21-year-old. But you're 22. and I like. I, I was that's 21 like, and you were 32. That's like 10 years. He's like almost doubled that. Doubled that. Well, 
I mean, look, you can be attracted to someone, obviously, but I just, I don't, I, I, I like, I don't know, like, like, let, let's say for myself, okay, I'm 20 years older than Emma Watson. Now, the reality of that situation is, like, yeah, I'm 20 years older than her, but she's, like, more mature than me by, like, miles. So, if I said to myself, not, not with you, if I wasn't with you, but, it, you know, if I was going to date her, like, she's mature enough to handle that part of it. Like, she's she's more mature than I am. So, she went, it wouldn't last long because she's like, dude, you're a kid. I'm not dealing with this. Uh, but in the, 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 the Rachel Wood and Manson thing is I'm thinking to myself, the way it sounds is that she really wasn't mentally ready for something like that. Like, mature enough to handle that relationship. Doesn't make her at fault. But a part of me just says she was starstruck and he took advantage of that. And I, I'm not sure that's a good thing on his part. Like, he should notice that. I think that's part of what happened, too, because when they, I mean, she was, I think, 18 or 19 when they met. And she's, boom, on the tour bus and, and touring with him immediately. And that's a big jump to go into that kind of life when you're an 18-year-old. Right. And I just, you know, again, we're just speculating here. But those are things that kind of, like, just, just just the age difference between those two. Now the other women, again, probably older, have the same issue with them. So again, I don't know if it's going back to is he carrying? Well, no. The the one girl was very uh, the one I keep referencing the model from Thailand. She um was very young as well, maybe like eighteen or nineteen. So that again, he's showing a pattern here now because I think at the time that he was dating Dita and Rose, they were more around his age. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's all speculation, but it seems like he has a sexual preference on how he deals with, like, sex, and it might be carrying over into these other relationships. Whether or not they're consensual, I don't know. Well, it's also interesting what you brought up about Ron Jeremy, um, about when you get to a certain level of power and you're also dealing in fetishes, which, which they both are, you kind of start thinking a little... Like, like, like you can get away with yeah, it. Uh, Harvey, not, Harvey not, Weinstein type Yeah, stuff. but that's the other thing with too. Harvey Weinstein. It's not so much about, I think I can get away with it. You're thinking, what I'm doing is is okay. You're not thinking about it as being bad. You're thinking of it as, this is an acceptable thing to do. Maybe one person thinks it's acceptable to do, but another person doesn't think it's acceptable to do. But because you are that like controlling type person if you don't get the way get your way and you don't have it you know go to your T or whatever that I think is what and I mean I don't I really don't know I, I've never talked to Marilyn Manson I, I, I'm just going by like these timelines I'm reading of people that have come forward and I mean ultimately I think this is just all going because like I said he denies anything so it's like it's all going to come down to what can be proven in court, I'm sure. Um, you know, for him, unlikely, I can only say this, if he's innocent, he's in a really tight spot because of the way that things are right now. With, and like, on top of that, like, this kind of goes to my, the thing I always say, like, an accusation like this is, like, life-ruining. Yeah. So if if maybe what... On the other side, if, like, maybe she was just immature and 
he was taking advantage of that. Maybe even though she was of a consensual age, she just maybe wasn't of a consensual maturity with what everything is going. And she thought she wanted it, but she really didn't. And it also depends on the type of abuse. I mean, obviously someone would probably sexual, but, you know, she was saying that he had been grooming her for a while, so he it clearly was like maybe a possessive or a possession type thing. Oh, yeah, when they, they broke up briefly at one point and he was like obsessed with her he kept calling her and calling her i think he he said it in an interview one time um he called her 158 times and every time he called her he would like cut himself with a razor blade so that he could show her how much pain he was in and he and i don't know where he's cut but yeah he has- see that that type of behavior is not okay and then apparently he's been on record with like tweets that he had or emails or something where he said some pretty awful things about her or things that he did to her he admitted to doing like bashing her head into a wall or something so he's kind of fucked himself even if he was like just fucking around um those are things you don't say if you're fucking around so he's he if he's guilty he needs to go with whatever punishment the criminal justice system gives him but uh like i said if he's not then He's still kind of fucked because society right now, uh, you don't want to be on the wrong end of like accusations no matter who you are. But uh, more and more we hear about it, the more and more stuff we see with like... His pattern. Yeah, it just, it's not looking good for him, but... But again, this is, this is the, I'm going to go back to what we were talking about. Everybody is judging just because if this was, let's, let's think about this as Weinstein. You know, no, nobody would be like, "Oh yeah, you should just expect Weinstein," or, or you should just expect some oh, businessman. Some, some did that. Oh, some, Courtney some. Love was the first one who said, "I will never work for Harvey Weinstein." Well, and this that, is like back in the nineties, right? There are people that that do exactly what you said. Once that Weinstein stuff broke, they're like, "Well, why?" Well, I mean, I I, I question some of the mode or the. Uh, decision making but i have to remember that some of these girls were very young uh actresses when they went to his uh, to his hotel room but the first thing i'm saying to myself is you never do that you never like someone gave him bad information like if i have an agent if i'm a girl that agent is going with me to any meeting i'm having with weinstein or someone like of that caliber like you don't especially in a hotel room that's just not even a place well it, but apparently it's common it's very common because yeah. his these hotel rooms his is a penthouse it's, right. it's not like some seedy hotel room on the side of well yeah but yeah so you know but there are people that say like these girls have no one to blame with themselves i'm not saying that i'm just saying oh, but that there is a whole shit storm of people just saying that you know what do you and then what do you think was gonna happen yeah what do you think was gonna happen um I was expecting not to get raped. <laughs> right. Like, I expected not having to hold his junk. Or yeah, anything. right. It happens so much, and you know, back to kind of like when uh, I had my little tirade on your Facebook page about Greece. That now, it, now you know, Greece is coming out as you know, it's it's. What did they call it? Well, they were saying that they were complaining it was sexist, misogynist, and... And it is, but it... But that's the design or the time period of the movie. If you go back to 
Look at James Bond. Yeah, yeah. It's man just, talk, baby. And he slaps her on the ass. Right. Uh, look, you don't. If you don't like movies that portray the time periods, fine. That's I, I get it. Like, okay, you don't want your kids seeing this stuff. Great, I get it. It's your choice as a parent, as a person, to say to yourselves, "This is not for me." I'm, I'm more with in line with what they're trying to do now with movies. That's fine. You know, times change. People, directors, whatever. I, I think we've gotten a bit oversensitive. That's why I have a problem with it because I think we can't separate entertainment parts from actual reality. But these these movies all happened in different time periods, and if you're telling me well, even that now, you have to, if you if you think that it's so terrible, well then think about what's happened in those last seventy years since it came out. I mean, or since the time it's portraying. It came out in the in the 70s, but it's portraying a time period. 50s, yeah. Yeah, 70 years ago. Things were different, so you're portraying a different era. You can't... I mean... Well, yeah, but exactly. Let's think about some of these movies that deal with, like, um, slavery. Because uh, they've been pushing, you know, more black films or whatever. And it's Black History Month, too, so you're seeing a lot of different So, movies. if you watch a movie that's, what was it, um, Once a Slave or something mm. with Oprah Winfrey? I, I never saw the movie, I just know a little bit about it, but it dealt with that time period. So, if you're watching The Color it, Purple? No, no, no. It, it was, Slave was in the title. It won, like, massive awards. Oh, I've never seen that. But Color Purple is one of the two that Oprah was in that was very good. But... The whole idea was like it was dealing with the time. Even now, with some of these modern horror films, like from uh, Jordan Peele, they deal with racism stuff in it. And I'm like, well, why would you have a problem with this, but not this? And they're both dealing with the same topics. It's just from a different point of view. So I'm just like, this is where I kind of get bent out of shape about it because, like, if I'm gonna watch a movie. I have to understand what the, the plot is. I have to understand, like, what they're coming at. It's one thing just to go in there and say, like, even now, it's funny how Tarantino can kind of avoid some of this because even though he does take flag, he doesn't take it as much as, say, Grease. He uses the fucking N-word like it's it's nobody's job. And no one gives a fuck. Like, it's like... Oh, yeah, and Django? Yeah! Holy it's the, shit! It's the time period! That was period. like every three words was the N-word. Right, and it's fine because you have to understand what the plot is. What's going on, who the characters are, and how it's integrated into the plot. I'm not even just saying portraying a certain time period. I'm saying look at a product of something made well, yeah. in the 50s yeah. versus... Just look at old advertisements versus yeah. today. It's different now, and that's good. But you can't turn a blind eye to what happened in the past because then you'll just forget all there the certain, progress that you've made. There are certain things that you have to get rid of. Uh, Neko and I came across an app uh, a few months back, probably at least well over a year, that had these old commercials. Oh my god, it was so funny. And some of them were during World War II, and they were very, very racist. But again, product at a time. Now, I wouldn't say, hey, let's collect these and start putting them on YouTube and putting them back on air. No, we're, we're past that because we knew it was wrong, and we were long by that. But again, reference points, if you want to learn about history... You can see some of the shit they put out there. It's, it was propaganda. Mm, about the, the Japanese Americans and the Japanese uh, right. like 
fighting Japanese people. We go back to Song of the South again, product of its time. Uh, you, you know, I hate. It's even. It's even. Be, I'm trying to think. Song of the South came out in like the 30s, and Song of the South, all the Brer Rabbit stories, was written even earlier before then. Right. So you're really taking something. Look at look at Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. It was a, a, a it was you know they're literary classics that were written a long time ago. So and the thing that gets me is Song of the South is actually a very good movie. Um, I'm not saying that we need to idolize it or make it like oh yeah we like i don't think we should get rid of it. i think it's actually a movie that would be great for a teaching point with kids i think it really would if you're sitting there with your kid and you're watching it and you're saying in this day and age and you say well you know what we're gonna watch this but i'm gonna tell you some things about the time period and why we've moved on from this but we'll get into that it's like banned i, I i've been trying to find the uncle remus books you can't you yeah. can't <laughs> you won't be able to find it the only way that i have it because I, I i don't want to sound this is gonna make me sound like a horrible racist but like when i was growing up i had a, an uncle remus storybook so this is you know 40 years ago and you know it, it was my grandma reading them to me and doing the silly voices of Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox and, like, just being... and Br'er Bear. And it was just a good memory of mine. Watching Song of the South was a good memory of mine, like, with my, my grandmother. But... So I, I tried to find the Uncle Remus books. I'm probably sure I, if I looked really hard, I tried to find Song of the South, and it's just not as easily accessible anymore because it, it holds such a horribly racist, like, you know, Disney wants to pretend it never happened kind of thing. It's like, it doesn't exist. Yeah, and, and see, that, again, that's where I have the problem, because, yeah, we don't need to glorify it, or... And we don't need to repeat it. Right, but you, we're trying to erase it altogether to where we just want to pretend it never happened is ridiculous. It's not the way to. It's not the way to you deal with this. Yeah, stuff. you brought up a really good point. Like it would be a good teaching point for kids because you and I both, as kids, saw the movie, and it's a children's movie. It's. I saw it at, like I saw it in the seventies because that's you know the time period I was a kid, and you know I'm not sitting there as a young kid saying to myself, "Well, that's that's pretty racist against a black person." I just. I saw it as a cartoon, and I think sometimes what happens is, as adults, we go back and we sit there. Yeah, we can go back and look at it and say, wow, that is really racist. But as kids, we, as parents, we try to pretend that these things have shaped us how we are. It, that that movie never instilled in me any kind of like feelings of like being racist. Anybody. And that's not saying I've never done or said anything racist about anybody. Uh, I'm human like anyone else, but that movie wasn't like a catalyst for me to become like racist. In fact, if I had any kind of racism that was like insoned into me a little bit, and I'm not saying I am racist, I just I'm just saying that it's been there. We all know it for everybody. I don't care who you are, but it'd be for my parents. If if my dad had said something like "damn those," you know who, whatever. That's something I would say to myself, well, why is he saying this? Like, is there something wrong with these people? Because I had, I still have a lot of black friends. Uh, I had black friends growing up that I played with. I, it, it never crossed my mind 
that I shouldn't be playing with them. They just never did. Like I knew they were a different color, but I'm like I didn't think much of it. Um, I used to be when I was little. I used to be so like envious of the little black girls who, because their parents would like do braids and stuff, and I'm like. Here I am with this really weird curly mullet, and these gir- these black girls have this really really cute braids. And I I told my mom one time, I wish my hair was like the little black girl's hair. And she's like, it's just not. You have different genes. You have completely different hair. You've got wild, uncontrollably curly, weird hair, and they have you know whatever texture hair they have. And I'm like, but I wanted all the braids. They're so pretty. She's like, girl, I can't do that. It's just not going to work with your hair. It's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. It's just very interesting to see, like, how so many things are crossing over when something like this Manson thing pops up. You are seeing the, like, you're seeing the, I don't want to say racism, but, like, maybe classism kind of, like, going towards Manson. Then you're seeing the victim shaming. And then all this, it's like a Pandora's box that you just open. Mm -hmm. And everybody's just losing their shit. And honestly, we're completely losing, like, losing face that there is a real... There's a possibility of a real crime that has occurred with multiple women. And all we want to do is blame him. Not blame him, but be like, what else did you expect? And then shame the victims for getting involved with a shady character. Right. Instead of being like, okay, let's let's really, as people, investigate what happened and understand the stories from all these people. It's just, the world is insane. I'm sorry. I know I'm not perfect either. And I really try to look at everything from both sides. Like, I try to imagine what, like, Manson's feeling right now because I don't know him. I just know his songs. And if he genuinely feels like I he didn't do anything wrong and he believes that everything was consensual, well, now his record label has dropped That him. That's the key here. Like, we know, we've talked about it before, uh, Anzis Azari mm-hmm. and his situation. <laughs> It's possible that Manson, in his own mind, when he went into these relationships with these other women, like Wood, that he thought, oh, well, they're kind of going along with it. Like, I, I, I have a big problem with the whole, like, well, he should have recognized the signs. Now, I'm not saying this is the case, but Aziz Azari said to him, you know, said pretty well that he thought everything was fine. He really thought it was. So, even though the situations are very vastly different in terms of, like, one-night stand versus a, a dating thing... Um, again, it goes back to the Ron Jeremy thing. You know, if Manson gets it in his head that his particular sexual preference and how he deals with women, if they're not pushing him away and, like, biting his hands or whatever the fuck it is, he may be taking that as a sign that it's okay. You know, those are things they're going to have to sort out in court and everything else. Um, again, we don't know all the details. I'm just, we're just spitballing here, but... I mean, we've seen people's lives ruined that, I mean, we don't know on a super personal level, but, like, with with Chad, when, as soon as you, Dukes, as soon as you get, like, either the racist thing thrown at you or the rapist or the pedophile thing, it's like, it's over. You, you Even if you get proven innocent, it's always, like, out there in the news that you could look it up and in one fail swoop it could be over yeah 
And, you know, in some cases that's fine because you kind of bring it on yourself. But we also have to be able to listen to each other. Because, like, right now, if people want to get in their head, they're going to be like, well, goddamn, Anubis is fucking racist as hell. Like, I can't stop you from thinking that. I'm not. It doesn't mean I haven't had moments. Like, I admitted to that because I'm a human. Um, but if you can just stop and listen to everything we're saying, we're trying to explain scenarios and how different life experiences and observations because again me growing up playing with black kids i never once thought about it when i watched song of the south never once thought about racism because i was so young all i saw was a fucking blue bear and other shit and a rabbit and it was fucking funny yeah there was a tar baby but i i didn't even really look at it as a black person i just looked at it as a cartoon character you're like you're like oh brown rabbit's so dumb because it like right that's that's what i did too. as a kid that's all i fucking did now we're adults and we're re-examining this and we're like trying to break it down like oh well they were really trying to corrupt us i mean yeah i get it it has some racist elements in it because time period so we all have to remember that when we review these things and look at them, that we have to put them in their context of place. If we're not doing that, we're being disingenuous about it. So that's all I'm going to say on that. Um, the most important thing is people of our age, because we're kind of like, the what do they call us? The Gen Xers? Basically, Cause, yeah. Because I'm like right on the cusp. Sometimes they want to group my being born in 80 as a millennial, but a lot of times they don't because of the way technology changed so much from the time I was born up until like the time that the, the younger millennials, like the younger millennials were born and they already had a cell phone. Right. I didn't get a cell phone until I was in college, until I was 19. And I didn't get an iPhone until the first fucking iPhone was invented. Because, but, you know, the older, or the younger millennials, it, they grew up with it. So a lot of times I kind of get put in the Gen X. Anyway, Al, what you were saying, though, about, like, our parents' different time era influences people. But what we, as people in our age bracket, like, you know, the, the Gen Xers, we need to kind of be the ones... Who are, I don't want to say like bridge the gap or whatever, but no, we are. And that's we exactly have to how you put because the the millennials and the Gen Zs are kind of growing up now in a different atmosphere. They're growing up where, you know, coming out as being gay is not such a scary thing as it was like when eighties, yeah, in the eighties and nineties. And, and think about, like, my parents' time in the 60s and 70s when they were, you know, growing up. You just, it was unheard of. You didn't come out. You didn't, but we kind of came through it and we were, I feel like our generation, because we have been around the boomers, your parents might even be older than boomers because they're, they were born in the 30s. Right. So, we um, we kind of are the we're bridging the gap, and we have to be able to say, "Shit happened." <laughs> this, but you have to get better. 
the millennials are growing up being like, well, wh- or, and the Gen Zs are like, well, why isn't it already the way it should be? Like, nobody is recognizing this and nobody is recognizing that. And we are like, we've lived through a lot of things getting recognized. The people, like, the uh, ability for gay people to get married and lots of different things that were denied to, you know, anyone. We've kind of seen a lot of that happen and the socially and culturally acceptable, like, you know, you're not just going to be downtrodden on a black person, like, watching Mad Men. That's mm-hmm. another one. You see how, like, you know, they're they're kind of being degrading of the elevator operator mm-hmm. or something. We, or the women. Or the women, too. Like, we saw it as children, but when we grew up, we were coming through a whole lot of new things happening. The millennials and Gen Zs are coming on the tail of all that, so when they're, like, seeing all this, that's why I think, like, everything does feel a little bit extra sensitive, because we've seen worse. And mm-hmm. then when the, these... Well, and that's the problem with more, most of the modern millennials and, you know, the people now, because, you know, they, 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 they see things that happen, and now this is also part of, like, the internet age and everything else, where the... Everything gets blown up a lot more. And it's the 24-hour news cycle, and everybody's got social media. We didn't have all that, Mm-mm. so we were able to kind of determine uh, for ourselves, like, if something happened, I, if you didn't read it in the paper, you just didn't know it. Um, but, yeah, you know, we are the bridge to what's going on. But, like I said, you, you have to be able to rein in the modern person because... And rein in the older person because they they're they not... they start putting their fingers in ears because they don't want to hear mm-hmm. anything. They now. don't want to change their minds, and then the younger people and are... the very old people don't want to change their mind either. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing: we can't fix. Like I can't go and say to my parents, "You can't be this way." That it's not going to get me anywhere. Um, at the same time, I can't go and say, "I hate you both because you have more racist tendencies than me." I can't do that because. Then I'm still being unfair because they grew up in a whole different fucking time. I can't, you know, some people can learn and be better. My parents aren't like full-blown racists. They're not going to come out and say like, all the N-words and like, you know, kill blackies and all this other stuff. They're not the Nazis or, or any kind of KKK okay, couldn't, couldn't you agree? And I'm going to say this. They, and my parents too, they really are the perpetuates of yeah but white, that's that's white what, privilege that that's what i'm they getting feel to my... like they're not going to do anything bad to anybody but they definitely feel like they're like a higher status they're old school yeah and that's the thing like you can hate it but i'm not going to get into family wars because i know it will never change their mind and There's i've, no I've tried you've seen me try with right. my family i'm like who cares? Like, why do you even? Ca- why do you waste that's, your? But that's what's great about us. Okay, I got. We got to wrap this. up. I'm sorry. We, we were being really verbose today. But I gotta, sorry. I got to wrap this up because when we had our wedding, we had a variation of different people there. Different. We had a lot of gay couples, this and that, and that's the thing. Like, I I noticed my parents and her parents and they my all, grandparents. They all kind of looked at it like, "Wow, this is kind of weird." They weren't rude. This is the difference between some. You know, some people say, "Well, that's still not right," but the thing is, you weren't there when they grew up. That's how they just grew up. And plus, 
my parents are super religious. It goes against everything they believe in. You just have to learn to accept that they. But they didn't come out and weren't shitty to these people at all. They were just shocked. Right. Like absolutely shocked. Her and I, we enjoy those people. We love those people. And was, that. And that's, what do you mean, you? People? I'm sorry. From Tropic Thunder. Thunder. That's we the bridge we're talking about yeah. because. Look, I had a discussion with the My guys. parents would never be around black a lot of black people or gay people unless they were through us. Right. I mean, like, let's be honest. Right. And that's fine. I you know, that's their choice and that's that's their belief systems or whatever, but uh in the end, you know, we aren't like that. We are very open to everything. We support equal rights for women, <laughs> equal rights for gay couples. So on and so on. We Even love for, we love all you weirdos. Yeah, we have a lot of friends that are people of color. It's not an issue. Look, if you're a person of color and you treat me like shit, I'm going to treat you like shit. It's just that's the reality of it. If you treat me well, I'm going to treat you well. And, that, and most black people I've ever met in my life are very good people, very hardworking people, and they're just awesome. So I, it's not for me and her. It's never going to be an issue with that. Um, but there are certain things that we have to explain because we are that bridge, so we have to do all the explaining to try to make you understand why things are what they are with certain So ways. we'll say to the older people, you're you're really wasting a lot of anger. Right. You just need to get or with the nothing. program. We're like, like, just get with the program. Things are changing. You just got to deal with it. I don't even know what it was, but it was something about my um, Jackson doing something. I was like, who cares? Right. No, no, he can't have that. I was like... Because he wanted a doll or something. I don't know what it was. Something with his hair or his make. Who knows? And I'm like, why do you even care? I mean, really, why do you care? He's four. Right. Why do you care? And then, like, we'll do that with our younger friends, too. Like, because they get really angry at people who are our parents' age. Like, oh, they're all racist and they're all boomers. boomers. And, And I'm like, yes. I understand your frustration, but they're probably never going to change their mind as much as I scream don't ever try stop changing their mind but just everybody has to be like just pause take a breath and realize that there is a real difference in generations like the things that people have lived through yeah I'll say this like if the people that protest and we aren't protesters or anything. We're too lazy to protest. I mean... Well, it's just too much fucking drama. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Like, if those people would actually just sit down with each other, you'd probably find out... You'd probably find at least 80 to 85% of those protesters on both sides would actually get along and agree on everything. What happens is you just get a few in there who are very extreme on one side or the other and they're yelling at each other and they're threatening each other. And it gets real heated. And then all of a sudden you just got this all-out war and that's the shit that we have to deal with because the media will blow that up. That's the shit they love. They love to feed it to us as a nation. And we just eat it up and we're stupid because we allow them to do that. End point. New music. All right, we're done. We we, we went, we've hit everything. Just From about. rape and racism and gay yeah. and lesbian. Stuff that we don't usually like talking about, we got to anyway. Oh but my God, why did we do that? Everybody's going to think we're racist and, and homophobes now. No, no, no. Okay, so we got some new gas alarm, social scream from Angel's PR, but brand new except zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I don't know why I was going to fuck that up. But. Wow. Yeah, here we go. You made it harder to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to try to say that it was 
It's better to have a zombie apocalypse than the shit that we got going on now. I just couldn't get it out right. Apocalypse. A zombie apocalypse. That's a new new, oh, new dude. band name. Dude, I'd like or an apocalypse. <laughs> I bet you would. <laughs>
This is Anime from Darken and you are listening to the Holes of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. Alright, we're gonna get ready to get into our rock block. We are back. Back from our very, very heated. Like, I feel like a little emotionally drained because. Oh, we've talked a lot just in the first half of this, this I show. I know, so. and the whole. Like, Things will pick up though because the other topics we have aren't gonna be Yeah, quite they're a little as, bit lighter. Yeah. It's, just, it's just so crazy because they're the last. Uh, segment dealt with everything that is emotionally hard that you could think of. Rape, sexual assault, racism, you know, homophobe, like everything, xenophobic, you just, but it's important, as we said before, to talk about it because if you don't talk about it and you bury your head under the covers, you're never gonna, like, grow as a society, like. Yeah, either talk about it and deal with these things as topics and as people we can move on or we can just bury our heads in the sand and not talk to each other. And be like, oh yeah, the 1950s are the way it's supposed to be. Like, it's... Really, am I supposed to like, base my life on a time where they didn't even have a fucking Xerox machine? How... Nobody... Everybody wants to move forward with technology but they don't want to move forward with their mind. Right? Right. High five. Our so, back five. That was a back high five. So we got some Deep Space Mask from the Metal's PR in this block. Uh, Blackheart Death Cult, one of my favorite bands. You do like them. Got you the have vinyl the vinyl, there. yeah. Some Lizzie Borden, more recent stuff. I really love this. It's actually a, a remake of another song on the same record. It's a more recent thing, but this one's a little more beautiful. I think I'd Almost played this at my my funeral, maybe. Um, Necklace pick of the week, of course. What? Yes. I thought I was playing Tiny Tears. No. No, I don't know. I might create it. Are you going to create a Spotify? It's going to be a mix CD for my death. So are you going to create a Spotify playlist for your funeral? Yeah. That's okay. Like, we've dealt with a lot of, like, close calls with my mom, and... As we learned with my parents, they are horribly underprepared for anything, and we are not, we are too. But like, I, I find it even more appalling with my parents because they have children and now grandchildren and own multiple properties, so they have no will, no nothing. And I'm. It is very important that you let your significant other know. Which is why we still need to address. And we need to address. We need to address it because we own property together. But all of our property that we own is like together. Like both of our names are on everything. But I don't want my dad bullying you into some shit. Like if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, and you, yeah. you know, you know, I want to. We, be- we have to get our affairs in order in case something happens. You know, regardless. I, you know, I want to be cremated, and you know, you want to take my ashes and scatter them at sea. That, that's what I want. Uh, but we also got, um... I love your segment. Mine working. Uh. <laughs> but, uh, recently, uh, Blake Harrison and a gentleman, I believe, or a project called Trace Amount got together, did an EP. Blake! On a cassette. I actually bought this cassette, actually, so... Is it coming? 
I already got it. <gasps> yeah, it's it's here. Uh, I did re I did order. I don't think you saw it. Uh, what did you order? Hate Beak on vinyl. Because oh! so, Blake had uh, posted about it, saying they still had some in, in their well, thing. fuck yeah. So I was like, oh. I need Hate Beak. Right, that album's awesome. Number of the Beak. I love how he's like, yeah, the, the parrot. Couldn't, couldn't get the parrot here, yeah. <laughs> we wanted to interview the parrot, Blake. That's what it was all fucking about. <laughs> and he's like, the parrot's kind of an asshole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that shit was funny. I love that guy so much, man. Uh, we got he is a, so fucking funny. We have a little special package we're going to be putting together to send to him. He's had a little bit of... He's been under the weather, so yeah. send him a little package, but... We love him and Lindsay a lot. Oh, my God. They're the funniest couple, and they're adorable. And two people who do something that means something to them. Lindsay has created this entire, like... I don't know. It's like a a way to empower young women, like mm -hmm. teach them. Well, she has her podcast, and I don't she... remember the name. It's like a bird. Uh... A bird? You like hate me? <laughs> I'm taking. Hey, it's a book club. Oh, she has the sexy book club. Yeah. But I'm, no, I'm talking about. She is very, very. Her life right now is to empower young women to become responsible adults, and you know, follow their passions and stuff. So. She's she's a, a public speaker, and she's... I, I don't want to call her a social worker, because that's not what she does, but she works with, with young women to help them in their lives, like figure out their path and, and things like that. So both Blake and Lindsay both have a passion for their life, and you can tell. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, um, so yeah, they have this uh, EP called Under the Scare, and uh, I'm trying to... Cause Obviously, we're in a rock block, but this stuff is kind of more uh, electronical noise. So I tend to put like a mishmash of stuff in this block. That's you know whether it's post rock, uh, alternative rock, whatever. So I kind of fit in this area uh, more than anything else. Uh, the experimental. So it, this is stuff that uh, Blake has done with his own like uh, projects in the past. So. Um, yeah, we're going to get into this, and th th the EP is called Under the Skin, which I know it is a track with the same name, which is based off, it says Scarlett Johansson, because she has a movie called that. Oh! Uh, that movie is very weird. Um, so, at some point, loves the weird. So, at some point, if Blake ever comes back in here, like, even if it's just to shoot the shit, because uh, I know he likes horror movies like I do, because he's invited me to some of these other Facebook pages with that stuff, so... Uh, I like to pick his brain about that movie. Uh, it's very, very unique and weird. It's an alien-type movie, so it's kind of weird. But anyway, I think uh, this kind of like EP is kind of based around a lot of that. I don't know how much just of has it. kind of like a eerie vibe, like a little. It's not really eerie, but uh, it's weird. <laughs> just and that's what exactly what this EP is like. So we're gonna pick this track called Seraphaf Seraphic Violations. Uh, from that record. And uh, here we go. We'll be back a little bit.
life in the fast lane? Do you have the need for speed? Well, if you're a racing fan and want to be a part of a winning team, then contact Carmichael Racing. Carmichael Racing is currently looking for sponsors for the upcoming champion flat card season. You can be a part of a long tradition of racing as Paul and Rhea L. race to the finish line in Mardella Speedway at Diamond Head Arena in Gilbert, PA, March 13th through the 15th, 2020. They will also be racing at Hunterstown Speedway and Capital City Speedway in Ashland, Virginia. Racing runs deep in the blood at Carmichael Racing, and they are looking to gain sponsors for a new upcoming season. If interested, you can contact them at 443-202-3016. That's 443-202-3016. You can also find them on Facebook at SRChamp36. Carmichael Racing. Together you can soar as the engines roar.
Lizzie Borden, Long May Day Haunt Us, the reprise. Good stuff, beautiful song. Now it's time for Neko's Pick of the Week. That's correct. It is time for DJ Neko's Pick of the Week. So what do you have for us? So this week... I'm just mimicking Neko from last week. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Miss Kitty. This week, I have picked something completely for pleasure. It is a band that I love. And I'm not sure where this love came from because I thought that, um, I mean, I I can't remember not loving this band, if you know what I mean. Like, I can remember being three and loving this band. But I thought it kind of got more. I thought, like, it grew as I knew you. But when we were talking about this band, you're like, yeah, I never even heard this song. And I'm like, what? Huh? Hello? And he, you're, you're like, no, I only have, like, one or two songs that I really know by, um... Electric Light Orchestra. One band that, if you think about, like, flying under the radar, this is one of the bands. Very, very successful, but a lot of times people, uh, people just kind of don't give them their, their due. You, you get the whole, like, uh, you know, Don't Bring Me Down. I think that's the one that is the most overplayed. But this is not nah. Don't Bring Me Down. Nah. This is Mr. Blue Sky. And I, uh, I've i been driving a lot. And I've been using my mom's car. And she has somehow finagled Sirius to having a lifetime Sirius membership that she bought like when Sirius first existed. I mean, I'm talking like when before Sirius and XM even merged or whatever, they were offering a lifetime membership. If you just pay like X amount of dollars, you have a lifetime membership forever. So she has the 70s on 7 and lots of Electric Light Orchestra. And this song came on the other day. Also, another one that I'm like, oh, I should have picked this other one. But I love this song, too. Um, it's peppy. It's got pianos. It is like dun 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 dun. It, it sounds like uh, it honestly sounds like it could be made right now. The way that a lot of the post rock stuff is happening, it doesn't sound well, like. Well, yeah. If you listen to the Black Heart Death Cult, they, you know, and there's a lot of bands that I've been getting on vinyl lately mm-hmm. that pay a lot of uh, homage to fucking the classic rock era. So this would be, you know, obviously fit right in with this everything. Is, this is the out. OG. Yeah. But you hear this song, it, it it sounds like something and that's the other thing too. I love when now granted, ELO, this song came out five years before I was even born. But when I'm seeing posts on Facebook and Instagram and stuff and they're talking about bands from this, you know, generation and their kids I feel like that means something, right? That means that their music transcends just like a moment. I mean, look at look at Queen. Mm-hmm. Look at uh, look at Led Zeppelin. Look at Def Leppard. Like when you have a band that kind of like can transcend generations, it, it's pretty amazing. 
so this song for me is just a pleasure. I don't have a story about this song. I don't have like, a, oh, this is my in my convertible driving. No, I've just always loved Electric Light Orchestra, and I honestly thought that he Anubis and I like had a shared. He likes them, but. I must really like them because there's so many songs that I was mentioning to him and he said, I've never heard of them, this song ever. And he said, you must have been listening to this a lot when you were younger with your mom. And I'm like, yeah, this, this does kind of sound like my mom's style. So without further ado, we're going to listen to ELO, Mr. Blue Sky. Here we go. Audio jump. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, Audio Jump. Let's welcome DJ Neko's pick of the week. Everybody's watching 
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics who do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you Yeah, Stalfers. Put my tires on today. I know. Great automotive, great people. Love them to death. Uh, definitely have some openings for business because uh, COVID has like fucked everybody in that regard. But uh, it's kind of depressing too because they're they're a very good company. Like they've helped us so many times, and and friends of ours too. Like yeah, I I recommend them to people, and they're like, I took my car there. Uh, Michelle's car is a little bit older than mine. I think it's like 12 or 13 years old now. And she's like, yeah, I had a cracked engine block. I was like, fuck. And they're like, she was like, no, it was only like 500 bucks. I was like, holy shit. So they're very reasonable and they are honest. And like, we always give up. And they're not super close to it. They're close to Michelle, but they're, they're like 30 minutes from us. But... We kind of found them by accident. Yeah, yeah I've already been through all that. But uh, getting into our second movie review. Oh, you're not going to talk about Mr. Blue Sky that you just realized uh, yeah, what yeah. song it was? So, yeah, it turns out Anubis did actually know the song. And the only reason why I did is because one of our favorite movies, Disney movies, is called The Game Plan with uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, which is a football movie, which we love. And a ballet movie. Yeah, it, well, it has a lot of stuff involved with it. It's 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 adorable. Yeah, it's, it's the the little girl in in the movie who is now a grown woman, but she's so funny. She plays the Rock's daughter, Peyton. Peyton, yeah, and she's, God, it's such a funny movie. But there's a little montage because she convinces Daddy, the Rock, to be in the ballet recital. And there's a whole montage of them dancing and practicing, and it's to Mr. Blue Sky, and he's like, I, Anubis was like, I know this song. What movie is this song from? What is it? And he's like, it's from The Game Plan. I was like, you're right, it is. I didn't even think about that. Dude, man, I start hearing the chorus. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know this song. And that bop, 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 yeah. bop, bop part, and he, you're like, oh, yeah, I know that part. Yeah, I just I didn't realize it was ELO because you know I wasn't really looking at the soundtrack for the movie, but uh, the minute the thing about that particular song, and I was telling Neko while I was playing, is that it has a very uh, Beatlesque sound to it. Which, if I had not known it from her, my first guess would have been, oh, it's a Beatles song that I haven't heard before. And then, but because it's ELO, like, that's like, really awesome that they actually made that soundtrack um, in that movie, because it's a good tune. Like, it really is. I love that song, Mr. Blue Sky, so much, because compare that song to Don't Bring Me Down. So different. And then compare it to Evil Woman. Mm -hmm. It's... 
Like, the song I also... The thing about ELO, though, like, especially in the 70s, was that they always had, like, this... It's it's like a... They were rock, but they were also very disco-ish. And and very into, like, the synth. Yeah. Very early. Apparently, they, you know, they have lots of musicians. Um, You know, they've had the same violinist since the late 60s that, you know tours with them, plays on their their albums. Uh, they are very, very creative and innovative. And the other song that's one of my favorites is Strange Magic, which it's kind of more... The song Evil Woman is on the same album as Strange Magic. They sound similar, and I feel like what ELO does is they kind of find a sound each album. And then we, because all this stuff happened before I was even born, when I start digesting it, I'm digesting like ELO's greatest hits. And you're hearing all these different things that are like, this is one way and this is a different kind of style. And I don't know. I think they're pretty creative. And that's why I've always loved ELO. And that is my story and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) All right. So another movie we got to, uh, again, it's in the more... C and D range, but again... It uh, is an independent film that was fully financed on Kickstarter. Yep. Uh, Again, something mentioned by Fat Samurai Guy who actually interviewed the director and lead um, actor, uh, Len Kabazinski, who is actually from Pennsylvania. Um, Sounds about right. He's he's a highly decorated, multi-award winning martial artist. Uh, independent filmmaker, as Nickel pointed out. Uh, he has some other, uh, they call it best low-budget trash cinema, so we already know what we're getting into. Uh, movies like Swamp Zombies, Curse of the Wolf, Fist of the Vampire, and Skull Force have delighted many, many fans of the genre. These are films I have not yet seen. We did see this one here, which was the most recent challenge of the Five Gauntlets. But the- see, I wouldn't call this trash cinema, because it... It had an actual story and purpose. So, Do you know what I mean? In other words, it's better than Father's Day to her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it had a story and a purpose, and... The way I look at it, it's... it's if you think Van Damme's Bloodsport, but only with more, you know, not quite as, like, not... not Van Damme's Bloodsport kind of meets, like, uh, Bruce Lee's Game of Death kind of mashed together. Right, and, you know, it, it's not like any well-known uh, actors or anything, because they're all like, you know, they haven't gotten to that scale or level yet, but uh, the thing about cool about Lynn is he's a super humble guy, very nice. Uh, he took the time to interview with the Fat Samurai guy on his YouTube channel, and uh, they were shooting the shit. And the thing I love about uh, Lynn's movies is the artist he gets for his, his screen prints for the covers. Um, we go back to sort of like I was talking about with the Father's Day movie and how the beginning of the intro of the movie was sort of grindhouse. Well, the artwork that's being done for Lynn's movies is in the same kind of vein. It's just it's so it's so cool uh, to the fact that I actually joined his Patreon for uh, Lynn to crowdfund his next film, which he'll be doing. Uh, in the process, it was really cool because I was in chat with the fat summer guy when he was interviewing, and that goes around. Uh, 
becoming a patron means I'll get the poster and a, a patch. Oh, that's actually. right, that's right. Because you, you asked him, you type. I remember you were typing. Well, Len like, said that, like, yeah, you know, he's he said, got, he's like, email me, yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, we've got this poster that we got for the, the this film, and then we have uh, actually it might be for the next film. I don't, I don't remember which one it was for, but he has a patch also, and then. He's like, yeah, you know, people who sign up to be patrons, you know, if they wanted me to sign it, I would. I think Samurai Guy actually asked him about that. And I said, dude, if Len will sign that poster, I'm doing it right now. I'll be a patron right this fucking minute. And Len's like, no, no, it's great, man. You know, just send me your person, your your address and stuff, and I'll get it out to you. And I'm like, you are the man. Uh, super, like I said, super fucking nice guy. This film here came out in 2018. Uh, I'm gonna try to find a synopsis. Okay, so here, here, here's basically what the premise is. They're looking for the Buddha stone. A desperate, a desperate family has exhausted all avenues to save their gravely ill young child, except one. They seek help in the form of a relic historian adventure. This is played by Lynn, uh, by the character Kane, to track down a Buddha's tooth, a relic believed to have supernatural healing powers. However, to get to Buddha's tooth, Kane must not only travel the globe, but battle through a gauntlet of warrior gatekeepers who each hold clues to the ancient relic's location. So basically, it, it's sort of like Mortal Kombat. You know, you're facing different opponents, and for each opponent you defeat, you get like another clue to the next the next one. It's almost kind of like Kill Bill, too. Well, yeah, and I think, I think. Some of the inspiration came from Kill Bill. Maybe I think of something else differently. I don't remember. Because, like, you remember in Kill Bill, like, mm -hmm. when Uma Thurman, she'd, like, go see every... Her revenge yeah. tour, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it has a similar vibe. Now, like I said, you're not getting the kind of budget with this that you normally would with, like, stuff like Kill Bill. So don't go into it thinking you're going to be seeing, uh, you know, Oscar winners here. But... There are the a couple. Of, there are a couple of tertiary characters who have no acting skills, and part of it is annoying. But the other part is like that's great because they're like, oh yes, turn <laughs> right at the stop sign. Like it's it's like terrible, but really good. But again, like this is the cool thing about Lance. He 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 understands like where he is with his, with his particular films and what he's driving for. Um, Naturally, I think any director and guy in his, you know, position would want bigger budgets and stuff. But he understands where his niche is right now. So, and he's he's done like a lot of films. It's not like he's not just coming out of the blue here. He's been doing this for a little while. So, I really feel like he is creating this amazing resume. Like he is, he, he is. is, and he's so creative. I cannot believe that someone from a big movie. Like company would not snatch up one of his screenplays because it's original. Well, that's a that's a valid point because there's a point in Gauntlets where the last battle faces what's basically like a voodoo pair of guys uh, with a voodoo priestess who actually has a doll that she's pricking that represents Cain. Uh, to sort of like defeat them because the whole purpose of these these protectors is not to allow him to get to the Buddha's tooth. Like at first, at the beginning of the movie, he doesn't even believe it exists because it's all supposedly a myth and a legend. Uh, but as he starts to learn and talk to his sensei and everything else, it becomes evident that the shit does really does exist. 
So he, you know, he takes it upon himself, and he's there's again there's this final battle where it actually deals with voodoo. And as they were talking in their interview with samurai guys, that you know that, that isn't something you've seen in a martial arts film before. So as you said, I think uh, Lin has a lot of great ideas, and I'm not I can't remember who all does his script writing. He he did mention them in the interview. So if you get a chance, Fat Samurai Guy is on YouTube. Just check it out. It's called That Fat Samurai Guy. And you can get the entire interview. Yeah, it, it's very good. He's actually reposted it on Facebook a few times. Uh, but yeah, it, there's a lot of cool. There's some cool stuff in here. Uh, the choreography is pretty cool. Now, again, I, I can't take it and compare it to Enter the Dragon or anything like that. It's just a, it's a different world, but. The cool thing about Lin's stuff, though, and this is the one thing I give him an edge on when it comes to compared to the higher grade stuff, is that the fighting you see actually looks like real fighting. Like if you were it, to see a public exactly, it doesn't look like the, uh, the really flying through the air. <laughs> well, that plus you know let's 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 talk about like Bruce Lee and and the Dragon real quick. The, the, that stuff was choreographed, but like it was probably take after take after take. And it looks like that Bruce Lee can just kill you with one punch. This, you know, these fighters, like like for me, if I took myself and put myself on Lin's movie, I could barely get my leg up to your waist. But that's the kind of real fighting it would be. Like if I had to get in a real fight, it's not going to look like I'm Jean-Claude Van Damme here. I'm going to look like a guy who knows a little bit of martial arts and that's it. And that's what this is. Like, Len is a martial artist, but he looks like a real fighter. Like, it's just... Because he's a real fighter! Yeah, just like a UFC fighter or something. You know, that's what I mean. I guess that's what I'm driving at. So, uh, yeah, you know, you you just have to have certain expectations when you watch these movies. A lot of people who watch independent films, what their their expectations are, like, oh, this is going to be in black and white, and it's going to be deep, and there's going to be like a plant in the middle of the floor. And yeah, it's not karate. No, <laughs> this movie is still a movie with a story and with things happening. The only criticism I really have, like I said, was some of the acting was not yeah. so stellar. But the cool thing about Lando, also, and this happens a lot within the industry, is that. Like, some of the actors that he works with on his film, he's worked in other films with. That's why he has this good uh, chemistry with the people that mm-hmm. he works with. So, like, the chick that played the, um, I believe it was the ninja girl on the beach. Mm-mm. He's worked with her before, so he has a good uh And that's what he was saying. He said, like, I wanted to pick somebody who was, like, authentic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I really think that... He's a guy I will totally support because Neko brought this up after we watched the movie, and it, it's like she said that it's very important to support independent artists, and we do this both with music and like filmmaking, books too, right? Lou, Lou, yeah, exactly, and it's important to us to do this, especially when you have great people like Lynn or Lou, or you know like Nomas guys that are you know people that are working hard at their trade. It's important to keep them going because, especially now with COVID, like it, you know, they're still trying to make entertainment for us while we're in downtime, basically as a nation, as a world. Mm-hmm. So uh, for them to kind of keep doing this stuff and, and trying to work at it, you know, it's it's really nice. I mean, obviously we can't support everybody, but when we come across guys like Lynn and you know the people he works with on his sets and Lou Yardley, uh, the author. 
It's very important to us to help him out as much as we can. We do not support thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. We sign up as a Patreon and we give like monthly donations in small amounts like 20 and that's 15 thing. bucks no, but none, that's of, what, none of them ask for like an enormous amount of money but like, that's what you can do that's that's what the whole idea about crowdfunding is yeah just like another thing that you know i'm very passionate about i'm sure you are to a point is the um we we both owned two diabetic cats who have since passed for years now and I still, every month, donate $10 to the Diabetic Cats in Need Foundation because I remember what it was like when it was time to figure out what the fuck are we going to do with these two cats who, how are we going to get the medicine? The medicine is, is expensive, blah, 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 blah. Which reminds me, I should probably get to do a liner for that. Like, mm -hmm. if you contact them and tell, ask them what they want said in a liner, I'd have you do the liner. That's something we can do for them. Because, like, we are very passionate about saving animals and stuff. So that's a good thing to do. And we're the type of people, we do everything until it's, like, impossible to save an animal. And I know that sounds insane. It just comes to a point when we've had animals that, like, it just was the end of their time. We're like, we, we, we've done as everything. Much as, as much as we didn't want to do it, it, it was, like, the right choice. They, so. like, our, our one cat, Audrey... Or Mickey. She, she faked us out twice. We're yeah. like, we actually had set the appointment that it was, it, you know, it was time to go, blah, blah, blah. And she started doing well because we were giving her fluid infusions and she perked up and we had her for a few more months. And I'm like, this is great. This is great. We are the type of people who have spent more money on our pets than we have on our home and ourselves our entire lives. I feel that if you take in an animal, it's your responsibility. You love them, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Our two cats that were diabetic, we didn't adopt them as diabetic. We had them for a few years. And then, you know, just going to their yearly appointment, doing their routine blood work, it was like, yeah, your cat's diabetic. And I'm like, what? hello, excuse me, and after the entire ordeal with both of them, because it's very, very difficult to get, get diabetic cats kind of, like, regulated, and they both lived a lot longer than they were supposed to live, because we were very, very um, active in taking care of them, but the Diabetic Cats and Need Foundation helps people, they collect donations, and they help people who are unable to afford kind of the hospitalizations okay. or the upfront care. Yeah, we're kind of getting off base again. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Back to, back to uh, our, uh, our man. Yeah, so, because um, we do have to kind of speed up. We're starting I'm to sorry. We, we're we doing are. a five-hour long show today. Um, so just to close out this, uh, there's an article on the cinemadrunkie.wordpress.com. What? cinemadrunkie.wordpress.com article and he, he titles it Challenge of the Five Gauntlets of Citizen Kane of Low Budget Martial Arts Action Movies it's a good article uh, we don't want to break it all down for you here because like I said we're kind of running on time constraints but um, check it out and you'll see actually this is the artwork they have for this movie is not the one that I'm getting I'm getting the one for the next movie which is cool this one's very cool too and this is the kind of shit that I'm talking about 
It's got this very old school retro retro nostalgic uh, grindhouse looking artwork, and the artist is very good at it. Like it's very cool. Do you know who the artist is? I can't remember, but in that interview with Seth okay, okay. Samurai, they do mention it. So, uh, like I said, at the Cinnamon Drunky, cinemadrunky.wordpress.com has a very good article on this. Check it out. And we're going to get back into some music here. Uh, all new stuff on Tusk, uh, Beneath the Temple. We're going to kick it off with some Onok Canopy of Ash.
listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, it's on too. <laughs> All right, we're back. We are back. We have just talked and talked and talked today. And I know nobody cares except for Amok because he loves listening to me talk. Well, well there are other people that like it. <gasps> Who's our fan? We have Who's our fan? We have a fan. <laughs> we have a fan. Now, we have lots of fans, actually. Oh, but we have a very vocal fan. I forgot his name, but he's been commenting on our... Kevin Trent. Thank you. Yeah. He's been commenting on our stuff, and it's been amazing. Um, so, there's a couple of quick topics to get to in the music world. Um, I'll just get into the first one, because for those that haven't heard, uh, Eric Rutan of Hate Eternal and uh, Past with the Morbid Angel Band uh, joined Cannibal Corpse. Uh, they did release a new song on YouTube, or at least streaming. I think it got taken down on YouTube because they weren't ready for it to be there. But um, they were streaming a new tune from uh, Cannibal Corpse. I haven't literally listened to the whole thing because I kind of like want to listen to the whole record, uh, unless I just get extra time and want to sit down with it. But uh, it sounded really good from what I heard. Um, but there's also a question whether that Rutan was going to still a Rutan, I guess would be his last name. Uh, would still be doing Hate Eternal. Apparently he will be. Um, so there's an article on Blabbermouth that talks about what his next steps is with Hate Eternal, but definitely part of the permanent member, uh, permanent member of Cannibal Corp since uh, Pat O'Brien's exit due to his issues. Um, yeah, so there's that with that. Uh, they do have a new track out there, as I said, that you can hear streaming. Uh, I think it's on Loudwire or something like that. But... But Neko had uh, some other uh, news for you and a little bit more rock-oriented. But uh, It's kind of like, it touches my heart because I, I love tap dancing. And to me, tap dancing is not just dancing, but making music with your feet. And I read this article. It was an interview with Foo Fighters' Dave Grohl. And he said, I want to become a really wicked tap dancer. And I said, before I even read the article, it made so much sense because, you know, Dave Grohl is a drummer, so why not, you know, put the rhythm in his feet? <laughs> and the interview itself was actually, it was actually kind of sweet because, you know, Dave is in his 50s now and he was just kind of like hitting back on some childhood memories or his ambitions as a kid like he really wanted to be a famous soccer player and um you know he said he wasn't great in school and he also really paid a lot of homage to his mother saying that she was very intelligent and very hardworking, and she was raising us on a teacher's salary so it's just a really, really good interview to read. It's through FT.com. But the one thing that really kind of hit me, number one, he said this ambition or talent, which matters more to success. And he said, ambition and drive. Talent has unfortunately only a little to do with it. I'm not the best drummer. I'm not the best guitar player. I'm not the best singer, but when I do any of these things, 
I do it like it's my first day on earth. So I love hearing the, you know, he's in his fifties now and he's still got the passion that he had back in the Nirvana days just to like keep the drive alive. But what I found was really interesting was he, he made the comment and he said, my, my obsession that I've had for 30 years and never revealed to anyone is that I want to become a really wicked tap dancer. I can't dance. But there's something about the rhythm and the patterns I understand. This year I got a pair of tap shoes and it's going to happen. <laughs> so I really hope that... Just maybe you're going dancing with the stars or something. Maybe, well, I, I mean, I hope he got a nice pair of uh, Miller Benz or J-Sams. And like everything in the virtual world, he could just pop on, you know... Go on the broadwaydance.com, which is like one of the bigger dance studios in New York, and just kind of, you know, acclimate himself with with dancing. I think he would be a good tap. I swear to God, I think any drummer would be a good tap dancer because the hardest, I, I see this with my dance students, the hardest part about tap dancing isn't so much of like the movement but you have to be able to create sounds with your feet so you have to be able to understand how to count music and how to count what's going on he, i mean he's a musician hmm. and he's a drummer so like moving your feet is going to yeah exactly i totally 100% support this i hope the next foo fighters tour he comes out in a pair of tap shoes and does a little fred astaire number it would be amazing this just it just touches my heart i like i love dave grohl everybody is like oh i'm so over dave grohl i'm not over dave grohl he could do remember the concert he did he's he's kind of like bruce dickinson where bruce fell off the stage and he kept same thing with dave you know I am not the biggest Foo Fighters fan, but I'm a I'm a big Dave Grohl fan. I, I yeah, really... I like Dave. He, he you know he has a passion for heavy metal. He did the Probot um, album with King Diamond and Max himself. That's right. Well. That's right. So and there have been rumblings that he has been a nameless ghoul. Yeah. So now, I don't know if that's true, but either way, I can appreciate what he's accomplished post Nirvana because. Like, the basis from that band, you, even though he's been in other projects, you never hear anything from him. And that usually is like... You have to think that he was in a band that was so huge that, and so he, beloved. Groundbreaking huge. And then, like, to go to that, to another band that he created, and that became a big thing. Like, there's a lot of Foo Fighter fans. There just are. And uh, they've had a lot of success. So, I mean, some of the earlier stuff I like. There's songs in there I do like. No, no. Thing I don't I, I do like Foo Fighters, but I'm not like a fanatic. Well, neither am I. Yeah. But I am a Dave Grohl fanatic, especially now that I know he wants to take up tap dancing. <laughs> I it, do you, does he have like a fan email? I could be like Dave. I totally Dave, I can teach you. This. I can teach you. Come on now. Like let's do a Skype call. I'll give you the basics. I mean, I'm really good. I've i I've taught kids as young as three. Come on now, Dave. If you could get him on like a call, that'd be funny as hell. I'd be like, Dave, what's up, dude? You, you wouldn't even let me teach. You'd be like, oh, this is my husband. And yeah, like, she wants to talk about tap dancing. I just don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about you. Let's talk about Let's you. Let's talk about you and how awesome you are. <laughs> I, I honestly believe, 
and I'll say this to anyone who is even the tiniest bit musically inclined. I see a lot of dancers that, like when you're a little kid, they force you. You have to take ballet and tap. And one or the other becomes your stronger suit, if you know what I mean. And I think that people who really understand music and time signatures do better with tap, whereas people in ballet or lyrical, modern, etc. will do better when they're kind of like feeling the music, you know, like Led Zeppelin, like Fleetwood Mackie feeling, you know. I love, I love, love tap, but I honestly think Dave Grohl as a drummer and any of you drummers out there, if you think you might want to tap dance, try it because I think you could do it. I think you'd catch on really fast. I know you're like, oh, this is crazy and I, I, I never danced before. Trust me, it's not so much about what your feet do. It's about like understanding time signatures and rhythms like quarter notes, half notes, etc. That's how tap dancing is, but it's in your feet. So anyway, I just love that story. I was so glad to see a Dave Grohl and tap dancing story. You'd never think you'd see that ever. Yeah, interesting <laughs> story for sure. All right, well, we're going to start blasting through the rest of our music here. got a couple tracks later on by uh, Metal Devastation Radio as well as Grand Sounds Promotions. Uh, but we got some more uh, black metal kicking off this next block, and then we're going to fade into, like, death metal a little bit. So here's new stuff from Antagon's Fate. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce that. Son of... Let me try. Son of a gun. That's what it is. Son of a gang. Yeah, something like that. So here we go. New stuff. Son of a gang? Probably son of a gang. I don't know. Uh, Antigona's fate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, fuck you probably, me. You probably said it right the first time. That's hard. All right, here we go. Yeah. 
Get out of my you fucking way, you cunt! Hi, this is Isaac Goldsmith. This is Jonathan West from Exhortation, and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio.
right, DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. Back with you, getting ready to close out episode 102, Hordes of Chaos. The longest episode you're ever going to hear. No, I think that still might be the Godzilla one. I don't know. I haven't really looked. I know we've had some pretty long ones lately, but that's okay. That I think sometimes with us is we just start, like, completely Rambling. riffing off of each other and then it, it turns into something else like well we talked about that a while ago when you were out of the ship like, yeah when, when you're I, out to sea they're two hours long yeah. and I come home and they're five hours long and it's just because you and I are really good at discussing things together and yeah I think people enjoy that more but we do try to get all the music in that we need to because there's always new stuff that needs to be played and uh, we try to make the topics interesting as possible. And as I said earlier, as we did, like with the Manson thing, is that it's important to explain your stances because if you rush through and people get the wrong idea, they may still get the wrong impression. But at the end of the day, we at least made the attempt to explain where we're coming from and why. Well, we, we always feel like this about any type of controversy or criminal activity. You can't let social media be the fucking judge and jury. So as soon as something pops up and they're like, oh, shame, 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 fuck you, fuck you. It's just not the way to live your life. You need facts and figures. And there are no facts and figures going on right now. It's just conjecture and speculation. Yeah, that's one of the things that's been brought up a lot uh, in other circles that I'm part of that, you know, the media itself mm -hmm. has lost its way a little bit when it comes to the information they're putting out there because they, believe it or not, get paid for ratings. They get paid for getting the stories out first. So they don't always fact check stuff. It, it's yeah. true. It happened. Like, it literally happened with CNN. Like, it, mm -hmm. proof it happened many times because they want to be the first. They want to have it on Twitter. And But for me, as a, you know, I try to hit both sides. I try to hit CNN. I try to hit Fox. I even try They're to. They're both hit, guilty of stuff, obviously. But. but I also try to hit, like, The Independent, which is from the mm -hmm. UK. To see multiple sides of stories, I'll go on their website, like this Manson thing, and be like Marilyn Manson, and I'll read the Marilyn Manson stories on each different website, and it's really interesting how not just the way the, the article is written, but like I was saying, the comments that come along with the article are differing between each website I um I and you and I both we want to be I don't know better people for the future mm -hmm. like I don't even know what that means but we are really really trying to make sure that everything that we do is is research and we try to keep ourselves well informed i i think the thing again like i said before that broke my heart the most about this marilyn manson article that we talked about ad nauseum was the comments of the people who were 
blaming Evan Rachel Wood. Well, let's be fair. That, that kind of stuff has been going on for a long time. But again, because the internet really didn't exist back then, it was kind of downplayed. But we but always then, saw that. But then, because I feel like I'm on, I, I'm trying to be like defending Marilyn Manson as a, a, a metal rocker at Everybody is like coming at him, like you're a weirdo and blah blah blah. You should know better because Marilyn Man, and that was the thing that that was like kind of getting me. They're blaming her and saying, "What did you expect?" Because he's a fucking weirdo without knowing him or her and without any evidence. And that's what I hope as this goes forward, people are like, okay. This is what happened. This is the evidence that we collected. And the courts, if anything, is brought to an actual case. They say, this is what's happening. This is... And they pull actual facts. If you, I don't know. The mic can even pick it up. The, <laughs> I know. The cat is crying out for food. It's, like, really ridiculous. And she just ate, like, three hours well, ago. Well, no, it's, it's almost time for eating. It was almost again, time but... for second dinner. And mind you, our cat is 17 pounds. But she's losing weight. She is. Yeah, she is. She's on a special diet. But back to my whole thing. I I really wish that if if this was just about, let's, let's say this was about DJ Anubis being a rapist. Nobody would give a shit. Nobody would say, oh, you should know better. Nobody would say to the victim either, oh, you're a slut, you knew better. No one would say, oh, we thought that he was a fucking weirdo for years. But because these people are in the spotlight and you see Marilyn Manson's onstage persona, everybody just assumes he's some kind of fucking sodomite. He's going to treat people bad. And then they shame Evan Rachel Wood because they're like you should know better. So anyway, it's got to get better. One it's got to get better. It as we have to get better as people. Christ, you're right. <laughs> now I'm going to go on another tangent and right. rant, and I'm, I'll go on Facebook and put like a 12 page article. Be like, fuck all you fuckers. <laughs> One track left for you to close it out. Uh, Bird flesh. Yeah. Crazy train decapitation. Take care. Enjoy.